but the issue is we have this thing called in God we trust. And, and this confuses me all the time because I'm like, well, which one? Like, which God do we trust? You know, a lot of people have lost their lives, including my nephew just um, two months ago, took his life, 25 years old, mm. uh, served a mission and went on his mission knowing that he was gay and knowing that he had these feelings comes back and couldn't live in a society that wouldn't accept him for who he was and he checked into a hotel and, and there's nothing else that causes someone to do this other than ideology so then i was like fuck i already know the antidote so i just sent my sister a text i said I haven't heard from you for a while you don't need to respond. I'm just thinking about you and I love you very much. I hope you're doing okay. There's nothing else that causes someone to do this other than ideology. And she didn't respond till the next day. And then she sends me this nice long text that says, I got your message for my birthday. Sorry, I've just been burned out, tired, but I've been listening to your message every day. And it's been getting me through this crazy work week. And I, I so appreciate the gift and blah, blah, blah. And lots of heart emojis and whatever. And I, and I just sat there and I was like, you see, why the hell did I have to create this stupid ass fiction in my head? You'll have to forgive me with my frankness because I'm not as, I'm not as, uh, as, as, uh, what's, what's the best word? Um, I'm not as polite as Glenn. <laughs> just spread love, dude. Just spread, just spread love, dude. Just spread love, dude. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy in this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone welcome back to infants on thrones this is episode 707 the ideology of love and hate. And today I'm joined by Lou Alafipo of the Think on Your Faith podcast. I'm joined by Mike, who you may remember wrote an email to me and I responded to him in episode 705. And I'm joined by Reed, who was part of uh, episode 701, The Other Hand and the Other Glove. Now we had a really interesting conversation. It took us in directions that I didn't expect we were going to go. And so let me give you an idea of what you're in for with this episode. You're gonna hear a couple of big inserts in the middle of this conversation. This, these were times where Lou especially was saying things that I didn't quite know how to respond to at the time. So I took some time, formulated my thoughts, and I responded to them in the edit, post-production phase. And I talked with Lou about this. I, I said, is this okay to do? And he said, yeah, sure. So what we're gonna do, I'm publishing this version on the Infants on Thrones podcast, where I'm responding to Lou in post-production. And then he's going to respond to my responses in the version that he posts 
on Think on Your Faith podcast, and he'll be doing that toward mid or end of February. So if you're interested in hearing Lou's response to my response, tune in to Think on Your Faith. Look for it sometime mid-February. And I think that's really it. I think without any more blabbering, you're going to hear plenty of blabbering, blab, blab, blabbering today. So uh, let's just get right to it. So welcome. I've got... uh, Four, well, I guess I'm the fourth, so three guests on Infants on Thrones. I haven't done a lot of panel discussions in uh, recent episodes, so this is going to be kind of fun. So we've got, yeah. we've got Mike and Reed and Lou, and both Reed and Lou have been on the podcast before. I'll let you guys introduce yourselves in just a minute. And then Mike has been in the podcast, on the podcast only through an email <laughs> with, with me reading your voice, um, the, the reaction to episode 704. Sam Harris, Captain Moroni, and the fictional title of Self-Righteous Liberty, and then Objective Truth versus Intellectual Honesty, episode 705, which was really inspired by you, Mike. So why don't each of you introduce yourselves real quick. Uh, We'll go Mike, Reed, then Lou. Yeah, um, I'm Mike, and I I don't know what what to introduce myself as. I'm a a software engineer. I live in Utah still. I've, you know, been been hanging out listening to Glenn talk about uh, all things religion and and uh, you know whatever whatever else has been on your mind for the last couple of years for, for a long time and I've appreciated yeah. uh, hearing all that stuff and thank you and uh, interacting you know has been fun for the last few days so that's that's me all right thanks Mike hey Reed all right so um, my name's Reed I, I live in the uh, in the northwest I'm an accountant um, I I feel like I'm kind of the newbie to, uh, I mean, in terms of a faith crisis, I'm still kind of in the, in the middle of it and trying to just figure out what is going on. Like I feel completely unmoored, completely trying to just lost sometimes. And, um, you know, reading, listening to podcasts, anything to kind of help me gain some sort of traction in life at this point. I, yeah. I, I don't know how else to describe it, that, but that's in short where I'm at. Um, but yeah. All right. Thanks, Reed. And Lou? Well, Reed, you're in good company, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah. we're, we're, sure. we're, all, we're all in searching, aren't we? I mean, that's, that's where I'm at. Sometimes you feel like you've Glenn, Glenn did a good job hum- humbling me in our episode because um, <laughs> I came out the gates. I figured like when, when I left religion, I had this. I had this feeling of like I am liberated. I'm free. I'm smarter than everybody else now because I, <laughs> I see this shit and I see it clearly. And uh, and then after talking to a lot of guests on my podcast called Think on Your Faith, by the way, I started that podcast back in March. Um, as I started to having, as, as I started to have these conversations like this, and then after talking with Glenn, boy, I quickly realized that I didn't know shit, and 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 we're still. <laughs> we're still in that knowing and in that searching. So anyway, that's, that's a little bit of who I am. I, 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 um, I started a podcast a few months ago. I host it and, and um, I, I, I followed Glenn Oslin's Infants on Thrones from a suggestion uh, from a friend and uh, love his content and follow his stuff as, as I'm sure you guys do. But my real job is I design, build um, luxury pools here in Las Vegas. Mm. Um, I used to, I used to commute here from Salt Lake City. We lived in Bountiful for many years. 
And then we just finally said, we're not going to do this flying around thing. Let's just move to yeah. Vegas. But anyway, it worked out great. So yeah. happy to be here. It's an honor to be here with you, Glenn. Thank you. Thank you. No, and it's it's an honor to have, I mean, anybody who listens to anything that I have to say and has for, you know, however long you guys have, um, it, it's, it's my honor. So I'm humbled by each of you, truly. Um, what, one thing, I, I think we're going to be talking about politics uh, a little bit today. So So maybe just quickly one more time around the horn how do you identify politically mike like where do you lean i most definitely lean left i hate identifying with any particular party i you know what i mean i'm i feel like there's lots broken and it's not any one particular party's side and so i i'm not uh, super allegiant to anybody but uh i definitely you know i lean left for sure Okay. And, and do you, do you listen to a lot of politics? Do you listen to other podcasts that talk about politics and follow politics? I follow politics. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts or, you know, a lot of news. I, it's more, I, I consume it more through written, you know, words. Okay. It's definitely how I, I get there. Okay. How about you, Reed? Uh, it's a great question. So, um, I don't like politics. Um, you know, listening to, to, to Tucker Carlson when we were kind of listening to the podcast that Lou sent out, it, it was like it was like preparing for a, an elders quorum lesson, and you're doing <laughs> you're, it's like a, a topic that you just care less about. Not, I, and I had okay, let me take that back. I, it's not that I don't <laughs> no take care backs. Less, yeah. No take backs. <laughs> I don't care less about it. it. It's just really hard for me um, with politics because there's just so many there's so much lying and there's so much just back and forth and um, it just completely irritates me. Um, I, I would kind of fall in the same camp as Mike though, but I am still trying to figure out what I, you know, I feel like now it's like, everything's wide open. It's like, what? how do I feel about abortion or some of these big major social issues? It, it, it's really, I mean, obviously now I'm, I, my eyes have been open to the, the you know, the LBGD, TQ uh, issues out there and my heart goes out to those people. And, and it just, I'm just kind of in a mess right now, every, every place, whether it's politically or, or, you know, uh, spiritually. So. Okay. All right. And Lou, how about you? I don't know. I think the political landscape and the political framework in our country, especially as of, as of late is, is confusing to me. And, and, and I think this two party system, contributes to that quite a bit. I think it sucks that there's no more, you know, moderate, there's no more, I mean, at least there's no talk about libertarian as much as there used to be. Um, but I will tell you just, just for the sake of answering your question, uh, I mean, of course, man, I mean, I, I, I grew up a Mormon, so of course I was conservative. I mean, you didn't have any other choice. I mean, you were, you were encouraged by the, the prophet to vote, you know, certain things, right? Yeah. And, and so it's hard to not be a conservative of your religion. I mean, that's just flat out truth there. And, that's, and I started to realize the issue of that as I, as I, you know, got a little older and as I started to stretch my mind a little bit and challenge what I knew. Um, so now as I, as, I, as I am exploring new ground, I can comfortably say this. I... In foundationally, I still am conservative in principle, but in practice, and this, if this sounds confusing, it's okay, okay? Mm. In principle, I'm still conservative because I believe in the values and the conservative 
foundations that set up this country. But there's a lot of there's a lot of contradic- contradiction in that. Mm. And, and I think we see that because we left we left England rule and the Roman Catholic rule because we wanted to, right? We wanted to worship as we please and we wanted to do whatever. We want we wanted to have that freedom. But the issue is we have this thing called in God we trust. And, and this confuses me all the time because I'm like, well, which one? Like which God do we trust? You know? Because shit, I mean, if you're gonna say that, you're gonna offend a lot of people. But anyway, in short, in short, I am conservative at base, but I am kind of like Mike. I I I align with a lot of left um ideology, I guess is the best word because it is. Um, but like, like for instance, I, I am absolutely for uh, gay rights. I, I absolutely believe that gay and lesbian and queer and whatever, whatever other label there is that comes with that now, they do have a place in society. And I feel like they've been disenfranchised. I feel like they've been sort of treated as if there's some backward, weird, you know, people. And a lot of people have lost their lives, including my nephew, just, um, two months ago, took his life, 25 years old, mm. uh, served a mission and went on his mission knowing that he was gay and knowing that he had these feelings, comes back and couldn't live in a society that wouldn't accept him for who he was. And he checked into a hotel and wrote his letter and shot himself in a hotel. Yes. This was this was a month and a half ago. And it's it's a very real thing. And there's nothing else that causes someone to do this other than ideology. Mm. Other than especially religious ideology, but yeah. anyway, hopefully, hopefully that makes sense where I'm at. But I'm still in search, like all of you guys. I'm still trying yeah. to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just, just, just for my part, I, I, I resonate with things that each one of you said. I mean, I, I, um, I, I listened to a lot of uh, conservative talk radio mm-hmm. when when I was younger. Um, I, I got I, I listened to a lot of Rush Limbaugh. I listened to a lot of. Um, Sean Hannity, uh, and at some point, in, in fact, there's this really awesome documentary called This Divided State. I don't know if any of you are familiar with it. It's probably 15 years old or, or, or more that, that was made by a few students at UVSC uh, when the, the, I guess the student pro- body president invited Michael Moore to come and speak to the campus and it just divided the community. And so to balance it out, they brought Sean Hannity in. And, and so it just, this documentary shows the, just the attitudes of the people on campus and what's going on and then shows snippets from Michael Moore's address and Sean Hannity's address and some of the fallout from it. It's fascinating. It's really, really fascinating. I mean, there was times where I was worried I was gonna go home and have a brick thrown through my window. This if is what our to, democracy is about. Here. Just two weeks before the presidential election, one of the most heated debates, maybe in Utah, UVSC has booked controversial filmmaker Michael Moore. Imagine what it's like if you live in Utah and you're for and you're for Carrie, you know. It's... No more lies! No more lies! And so it's kind of like a kind of a missionary thing that we're doing now. You you walk through the streets and you feel like if you like Michael Moore, you're going to hell because everybody thinks that you're a bad Mormon. This man hates who we are, he hates our value, and he would like to destroy us. People say that you have betrayed your religion, your country, your family. I want you to tell me the issues, what this is really about. And you're afraid of what he said. No, I'm not. 
You're free. No, I'm not. What surprised me is, is how this has been made into a good versus evil debate. So is it a, a, a for certain thing? Is there anything that will stop Michael Moore? This, this is a petition against the decision to bring Michael Moore to campus. Do you want to sign the petition? This guy's not evil. Uh, personally, I hate the man. Here, little liberal, liberal, liberals. Here, little liberals. There were no weapons of mass destruction. There was no connection between Iraq and the attack on September 11th. We want more! I've heard a lot of kids say that the only reason they want this event to go through is because they don't want to lose the money. I will buy back every ticket you've sold. And I have a $25,000 cashier's check made out to UVSC right here to start it. I don't think those threats are representative of the entire public or of the legislature or any other group, but we cannot respond to threats. And when people stand up and say, Michael Moore is not fit to set foot on this campus. Michael Moore is not fit to open his mouth on this campus. What you're really saying is that you students who believe that Michael Moore represents you, you are not welcome here, your views are not welcome here, leave, or if you stay, shut your mouths. That's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. It's fascinating. It's really, really fascinating. But uh, I, I, I became disillusioned with Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity in particular, and the the type of bombastic rhetoric that I started recognizing. Here, little liberal, liberal, liberals. Here, little liberals. This man hates who we are. He hates our value, and he would like to destroy us. And it was the same times I, about the same time I was seeing that kind of in myself and in the Mormon Church of like I'm right, everybody else is wrong, to the point of like. I'm, I'm superior and everybody else is stupid. <laughs> and I, I became really, really sensitive to that. And I didn't like that. And so then I, I started leaning more liberal um, for a lot of the same reasons you mentioned, Lou. You know, like as I, was, as I started podcasting and I started interacting with more people and, and getting to know, like I remember I was listening to an episode of Mormon Expression where uh, Zilpha, who was one of the hosts, interviewed one of her high school friends who's like they had dated and had a crush and he was gay and she didn't know in high school but then she found out afterward you told me about one time you were making out with her and i said well you know didn't you like her breasts and you said no they just got in the way i wish she didn't have them <laughs> and he told his story a guy named nate and it just melted my heart like if there was ever any doubt or or struggle or resistance about the, the gay agenda or the gay lifestyle, you know, anything like that, these seeds that have been planted in my mind, it just like melted away hearing this guy's story and, and talk about like at one point on his mission, he was so alone. He, he, he opened up the yellow pages to find a male escort and he had a male escort come. And I don't remember all of the details, but he talked about just being held. So eventually just one night, my brain turned off I was, oh, and you know, at this point I had also asked President Grant if I could go home because I was done. I was like, I need to go home. And he's like, Elder, the last thing you want to do is go home. And he wouldn't let me go home. Mm -hmm. So I think basically, you know, I wasn't thinking at the time, but as I look back on it, I was going to do whatever it took to get home. And I was going to do something to, to get sent home. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I looked up escort in the yellow pages and found a male escort and went and met him at a motel, rode my bike, snuck out. And, um, and I don't remember the sex. It was over in like two minutes. <laughs> like, and then he held me and we laid in bed together for, you know, like an hour. And he was just really sweet. And I, to just, to be in the arms of somebody strong with, you know, feel protected like that, um, being able to just like run my hands along his jawline or, you know, just snuggle up close to him. It was, you know, I'll never forget it. It was so beautiful. And, um, then at one point he's like, so, you know, asking me about myself and, I'm like, I'm a Mormon missionary. And he's like, how did you get here? And I'm like, my bike's outside. And he thought this was all very amusing. Mm-hmm. And and then he's like, well, what are you going to do now? And I'm like, well, I, I'm sure I'll be going back to America. And he's like, you don't have to tell anyone. And I'm like, there's no way I could be on my mission. Yeah, I could be teaching after this. You know, I would feel like too much of a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. I'm like, he's like, well, they have a good gay scene in America. And I was like, oh, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he put his hand on my heart and he said, you need to listen to your heart. And that was, that was the most amazing thing I had heard in a long time because here I am on my mission telling everybody the way that you know that what's true is by the feelings in your heart. And it was all about going deep into your heart and and listening to your deepest, still, small voice. And here I was with a man in bed, and my heart felt like it was burning because it felt so beautiful to be with this guy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really happy that that happened, and it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. So those kinds of issues made me go, okay, I'm going to migrate a little bit from my conservative roots into more of this liberal stuff. But I, I, I'm like you said, Mike, I I don't feel all that comfortable really labeling myself on one side or the other. Um, So I think things like that'll come up, I guess, but all right. So we've all kind of identified ourselves a bit in there. Let's start Mike. I'm cause I'm really curious. You, 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 listened to the Sam Harris episode and you hated it and you reached out and you expressed that to me in the kindest way. (laughs) And so I took some time to, to respond to it. And then you mentioned that you had more things to say about it. And I'm like, well, let's just do it in person. Let's just, let's record something. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm turning the time over to you now, Mike, (laughs) let's, let's hear those areas. I think I could really go for like two hours on this and nobody cares enough to hear that. So I'll, I'll try and keep myself, you know, brief here, but um, let me clarify. First of all, I didn't, I, I sent you that message in an emotional state. Mm. Yeah. And so I'm, I don't, I definitely didn't hate the episode as much as I think maybe it came across, okay. but I, it did make me emotional, I suppose, yeah. is what I really should say. And, uh, and it frustrated me in some ways what I perceived you to be saying. I'm not sure that I perceived your, what you were saying correctly or not, you know, yeah. but that's, that's kind of where it started from. <clears throat> so when you responded, you, you mentioned a couple of things about where your headspace was at when you made yeah. the episode that really helped me to kind of appreciate maybe some of 
where you were maybe overcorrecting in some ways because of some experiences you had recently, or, or at least that's how I perceived it. Right. Sure. And I thought it might be at least worth knowing, like I, I had some similar experiences that had put my headspace in a place where I was maybe overcorrecting on the other side. And uh, part of it is that for the last four years, I've made a point of centering myself. I haven't talked about politics or what I think to virtually anybody because it was apparent to me that, you know, I, I'm a somewhat liberal person in a sea of people who don't agree with anything that I have to say, you know what I mean? And so I'm, yeah. it's not, it's not fun to, to argue with everybody all the time. It's not fun to be that person who everybody thinks is crazy. So I've just censored myself for, for the last four years. Um, and then I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine um, after Mike Lee said something about how Donald Trump was like Captain Moroni. Um, and I, I had thrown out there how stupid I thought that was on Twitter. And my friend called me to say like, yeah, can you believe that he, he said this? And this is an old high school friend that I really respect. He's a really good guy, really intelligent. Um, and so that's how the conversation started. And I kind of, I kind of like went into that thinking, oh, he's, you know, he understands what I'm, I'm saying. And by the time we got to the end of the conversation, I realized that he was planning to vote for Donald Trump in the election. Mm. And, and it kind of that, uh, oh, you're not on my side kind of thing that you, you mentioned yeah. in your response. Yeah. I totally felt that like, oh, wait, like, I guess maybe I should be more careful about what I'm saying here because maybe he doesn't really, you know, think what I think, you know. And so that was one of the, the things that uh, I was just shocked to find out that even, you know, after having this conversation with him, that he still was going to vote for Donald Trump. And that's, I couldn't get my, my mind around that. Um, and then the other, I guess, main thing that was on my mind when I, I responded to you was that my wife had come home the day before after getting her nails done or her hair done or something like that and was telling me that the the person that she had been uh, having do her nails yeah. was telling about all this crazy stuff that was happening. Do you, have you heard about Pizzagate? Do you know about right. all this stuff that's going on in the world? There's these uh, people in our own town that have been arrested for for child sex trafficking and all this stuff. And, and it, I realized that like this QAnon craziness was something that my wife hadn't heard enough about to know like to be on guard about mm. and she came home worried in, in this state of like she was so upset you know that this was all happening and I, I had to stop and walk her through the fact that this was all none of it had any basis in reality you know what I mean we had to kind yeah. of talk through all that stuff and, and so I was super frustrated at the moment about just like reality seemed to be out the window and I just couldn't get anybody to see reality is how I felt mm -hmm. and then uh, <clears throat> that original episode that I responded to um, your your Captain Moroni self-righteous title of Liberty episode what I heard you saying is look normally this guy who's storming the Capitol in a Captain Moroni outfit we would we would normally come on here in the past on Infants on Thrones and and I've done a smackdown but I don't want to get too self-righteous. And so I'm going to take a step back and like, look, he has good ideas. I have good ideas. Like we all have good ideas. And that's kind of what I heard from that. Mm -hmm. And that's what frustrated me so much was just that ideas matter and ideas have, they can be dangerous. And I felt like what you were saying there was that that wasn't the case. And so I, I wrote the response I did, you know, based just kind of on that emotional response that I had. Yeah. Um, and then I've, since then, I've gone back and I've listened to the episode a second time and I listened to your response. And I, I think that I may have been just hearing things maybe a little bit harsher than they actually were. I, as I listened to it a little bit more, I think that maybe what you're actually saying is, you know, that you want to be sure to give people, I don't know, space to, to come to the conclusions they came to, right? Or I, I guess I'm not uh, entirely sure how to say what I'm, I'm thinking here, but like, it's not that you don't think that ideas matter, but that you're willing to kind of give people their space. My, I, I understand and maybe correctly what you had in mind there. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a nice way of summarizing. I, I've, I've been, I've been aware as you've been talking about this of the times where you've, you've really been responsible about the way that you reacted like the way that you heard it. And maybe this was the way that it actually was, or maybe it wasn't, but this was your perspective. Even in the case of, you know, your wife hearing about that QAnon stuff and she didn't have any frame of reference to know, is this based in reality or, you know, like what, how, how reliable is the source of information? And, and I think, I think my main point is that we can't escape this. We, we can't escape that anything that we ever know is filtered through our own mind. And, and our mind is a collection of everything that we've ever heard, everything that we've ever experienced, every emotion we've ever felt. And most of that's in our subconscious. We're not consciously aware of it, but it's all there. And anything gets filtered through all of that to create a meaning. And, and so like, we're basically all walking around in at least a slightly different version of reality because it's filtered through our experiences living in this world of reality, which are all different. And, and sure. so, so my, my main point with that is like, let's, let's not forget that fact, that, that objective fact that we're all, we all only know what we know. And it's, it's filtered through this very malleable mind of ours. And, and so let's turn down the volume on the, on the rhetoric, turn down the volume on the panic, really examine our own minds, our own thoughts to get to truth, to get to truth and say, now what, so I, what is it? Yeah, go ahead. No, you're okay. I, I was just gonna say, I, I can, I get on board with that. I, the reason I really enjoyed this back and forth is because it made me stop and clarify a little bit more what I really meant when I was sending you that response. And here's what I think I've come to is that I kind of uh, focused a little bit on objective reality and intellectual honesty. Those are things that you kind of grabbed from, from the response I had. And I believe those things are still really important, but if I'm really honest with myself in the case of what you're talking about, I think those things come maybe second or third in my priority list of what I actually care about. Mm. I think that what's happening here is that captain Moroni, you know, when you're, and I guess let me clarify that too, real quick. Um, when, in my response, you heard me saying, Captain Moroni is kind of a stand-in for the church. And so when you responded, you kind of responded to like, hey, I think the church is is uh, not based in objective reality or, you know, you, that's kind of how re you responded to what I said there. What I meant by that was the, actually like the insurrectionists that were there, you know, who had these ideas in their mind about um, the political world that they were, were living in where, you know, the election had been stolen. And so I actually, none of what I said really had much to do with the church. My, my reason for interjecting the church in there was just kind of that's the, the tie to infants on thrones, right? Mm -hmm. So I just want to clarify that, I guess, that I really wasn't talking about the church a whole lot there. Okay. But um, what I do feel like I've come to the conclusion of is that the fictional worlds that we all live in, we definitely all do have our own fictions that we live in, right? We kind of talked about that back and forth. But I, what I think that I still hear you saying a little bit is that we should all respect each other's fictions and that that's okay. And I, I still think that not all fictions are created equal and that some are dangerous and some aren't. And I think that ultimately what we should be looking for is to promote ideas <clears throat> that uh, have the most utility as fictions, right? Which when you're talking about Yuval Harari, he's, he's talking about the things that bind people together. The most useful fictions are gonna be the ones that bind the most people together and that align as closely as possible. Hey, Mike, you're breaking up there. Objective reality underneath it. Did I lose you guys? 
Well, yeah. you broke up a little bit there, but can I actually? I'm going to interject here because Mike, you you've said a lot of really awesome things that I absolutely agree with, and I like what you said about um, what he was basically saying was that these ideas that people conjure up from their faith-based moralities, you know, is dangerous, and I absolutely agree with that. Absolutely, I think I think once we and 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 this is this is a good this is a good tie into Sam uh, Sam Harris and I and I've got this down for the show if you if you don't mind um, oh, indulging me so Sam Harris says this to say that there are truths about morality and human values is simply to say that there are facts about well being that await our discovery okay I like that in other words he's 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 trying to say there are people out there that claim to have moral truths and they align themselves and they have these ideas from moral truths, but when we see that their morality and their moral truths and their ideas that are backed by their moral truths can actually cause harm on another human being, well, then that's when, that's when that shit is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and so I agree with Mike that absolutely, man, I think it's okay. It's okay to be um, open-minded and it's okay to give people their space, but I'm, I'm with Mike. I think you need, I, I think we, as a, as a society, absolutely need to interject and lay the smackdown on people who are actually promoting these ideas that cause harm on other people, and and that's why that's why I stand behind my old coinage. I mean, I made T-shirts that says it because I, I I'm so adamant about it. I wear it to the gym. I get a lot of questions on it that says faith is dangerous. Period. Faith is dangerous because faith means that you're trusting something with your without any evidence. You're just giving 100% trust in something or an idea without the requirement of evidence. So yes, absolutely, that's dangerous. That means if someone is teaching me that it's okay to strap on a bomb and go blow up the damn Capitol building and that by doing so, you're gonna be, you know, you're gonna have seven wives and you know, whatever. This is an Islamic idea, by the way. They, they absolutely promote and reward suicide bombing. What, what other base of idea does this come from other than faith? Okay, here is my first insert for you, Lou. And I have to admit, I felt a bit steamrolled by what you just said while we were in the normal flow of that conversation. What you were pulling from what Mike said is different than what I was pulling from what Mike said. And I wasn't sure how to sort through those differences. So I really appreciate that you're cool with me taking some time to think through what you said and provide a better response after the fact as I'm listening back to this conversation rather than leaving in only my tongue-tied silence as we were doing this in real time. So first of all, I want to restate the key claims that I heard you make. And these are things that I want to address here. So one, that ideas that people conjure up from their faith-based moralities are dangerous. Two, when faith-based ideas cause harm on another human being, that's when those faith-based ideas become dangerous. Three, it's okay to be open-minded and it's okay to give people their space, but we cannot sit idly by when harm is being promoted by bad ideas. We need to speak out against people who promote these false ideas that are dangerous to other people. Four, faith is dangerous, period. I mean, this is your t-shirt wisdom. You made a t-shirt. Faith is dangerous, period. Five, faith means that you're trusting something without any evidence. And then six, you said, what other base of 
idea does this come from other than faith? And you're talking about Islamic terrorists and suicide bombings. Okay. So I'm just going to come right out and say this, Lou. I think what you're saying here is true. And I want you to just sit with that for a moment. I accept what you said. And I accept you for saying it, for thinking it, for feeling it. It's true. How is it true? It's a true depiction of how you see things. It's the truth about who you are, what's important to you, and how you really feel. It's a true indication of your depth of caring. It's a true representation of your heart and your mind and the way that you're trying to make sense of things that frustrate the hell out of you. Now, why does this issue frustrate you? I'm sure there's many, many reasons. But one of the main ones, I think, is that you see needless harm and suffering in the world that comes as a result of people's bad ideas, of their stubborn, rigid, unexamined, untested, unverified mental and emotional attachments to an ideology, an ideology that causes harm. You see that and you hate it. That's a true expression of how you think and feel. So that's my view of who you are and what you said. At least it's part of my view on who you are and what you said. And I want to acknowledge that my view is inaccurate and incomplete in ways that I'm probably blind to. So take all of this for what it is. And please know that I tell you this from a place of accepting and respecting you as much as I possibly can. Now, I think there are some dangerous, harmful flaws in your logic. I think your conclusions are highly emotional which is perfect, by the way. It makes perfect sense that you feel the way that you feel about this. But I see a misdiagnosis of the root cause of the harm and suffering that is frustrating you. So I want to talk about that root cause, and I really want to question the connections that you're making to faith-based ideologies and harm. I mean, is it really these ideas that are creating harm, or is it people that are acting on these ideas that are creating harm? Now, I think that you have a bias one that you printed on your shirt, that faith is dangerous. And you really believe that strongly, perhaps even stubbornly and rigidly. But you're also very willing and open to examining it, to questioning it, to really learning if it's true or not. So I want to show you what I see and ask you to respond to my perspective. Do you agree with what I'm seeing here or not? Tell me why. Pick my logic apart the way I'm going to be picking your logic apart. Help me see my own confirmation biases. Help me clear up the ways that I see the world that are inaccurate so that I can have a better understanding of and appreciation for reality. So here's what I'm going to start picking apart what you said. You started by taking what Mike said and you filtered that through your confirmation bias, which distorted what Mike was saying. It changed what Mike said to fit what you wanted to hear Mike saying. Mike was making the point that we all carry around fictions in our mind and that not all fictions are equal, some fictions harm more than they help, and that we should all be vigilant about that and create fictions that are more beneficial for more people than they are harmful for people. Now you took that and associated fictions with faith-based ideas, which are absolutely fictions, I agree with that, but they're only a specific kind of fiction in the same way that chicken wings are a specific kind of food, even though they're not the only kind of food. Faith-based ideas are only one kind of fictions, depending, of course, on what you mean by the word faith. Now, I think that you're using faith in a religious sense. 
faith in God, faith in spirits, souls, life after death, faith as a way of worship. You defined faith as anything that is trusted without evidence. But it doesn't seem like you include non-religious trust under that definition. In our previous episode together, when I told you that I still have faith in things, you thought that I meant that I still have a religious devotion to a belief in God. What I really meant was that there are still many things about the nature of reality that I trust, even though I don't have very good evidence for having that trust. For example, I lost my job last week. I lost my source of income. I have faith that I'll be able to replace that source of income. I don't have any evidence that I will, but I do have faith in myself and my ability to replace my income. Now, I also have faith that my kids will be fine and that they'll live good, fulfilling lives. I have faith that even when things go horribly wrong, and I could tell you some stories about my kids where things have gone horribly wrong, I have faith in their resiliency. I don't have any evidence that they'll continue to have resiliency in the future, but I also don't have any evidence that they won't. Now, you may be listening to this and saying, yeah, yeah, that's not the kind of faith that I'm talking about. Fine then please be more clear about the kind of faith that you're talking about because a t-shirt that simply says faith is dangerous, period, is inaccurate. There's plenty of evidence to show where faith is not dangerous. I think that what you really mean is religious ideologies that cause harm are dangerous. And there's plenty of evidence for the ones that cause harm as actually having caused harm. Although, even then, you have to be careful to draw the correct correlation between the ideology and the harm, because maybe there were some other variables at play that caused the harm aside from the ideology itself. But you definitely need to add the that cause harm part to religious ideologies that cause harm are dangerous, because religious ideologies that do not cause harm are not dangerous, right? Things that cause harm are dangerous. Things that do not cause harm are not dangerous, right? And ideas just by themselves do not cause harm, except maybe to ourselves, maybe within our own minds. But the harm is caused to other people when people act out harmful ideas, or when people distort otherwise non-harmful ideas and act in ways that harm others. So in that sense, it really doesn't matter if it's a faith-based ideology that causes harm, or a secular-based ideology that causes harm. If an ideology that someone acts on causes harm, it's dangerous. Either the ideology or the person who is distorted by that ideology. So, people should be very vigilant about their ideologies and avoid doing things that harm other people. We agree on that, right? Not all ideologies are dangerous, just the ones that cause harm are. Similarly, not all faith is dangerous, just the kind of faith that causes harm. Of course, if you have a confirmation bias against faith, if you strongly, rigidly believe that all faith is dangerous, period, despite evidence of cases where faith is not dangerous, then you may not see or appreciate this fact. Which means that the confirmation bias itself may be part of an ideology that causes harm to yourself and others in that it distorts reality in a way that does not allow you to deal with truth, only those slivers of truth that fit your ideology that faith is dangerous, period, which I think is demonstrably untrue. So that's the way I see this, Lou. And I'd like to ask you what you think about that. Is all faith really dangerous? Can you give me evidence for faith that's beneficial? Can you give me evidence for faith that's dangerous? 
Can you give me evidence for all faith is dangerous, period? And most importantly, if you're holding an ideology that is dangerous or harmful to yourself or others, how can you know that you're holding it? And what would you do about it if you found out that you were? So yes, absolutely that's dangerous. That means if someone is teaching me that it's okay to strap on a bomb and go blow up the damn Capitol building and that by doing so, you're gonna be, you know, you're gonna have seven wives and you know, whatever. This is an Islamic idea, by the way. They, they absolutely promote and reward suicide bombing. What, what other base of idea does this come from other than faith? Yeah, this is really important, Lou. And I want to address this too, because first of all, th this, this idea of suicide bombing, it's a very, very small fraction of Muslims who do that, who are terrorists, just like there are Christian terrorist groups like the KKK. I mean, so I, I think you know that. I, I think you're not trying to paint all the world of Islam with this broad stroke brush. But you, you asked the question, what other system would this come from besides faith? And, and I'm telling you, it's not really about faith. It's about fear. It's about fear. I mean, this is a political thing. They're, they're, they're afraid that their identity is being threatened, that their lifestyle, their values are being threatened by the U.S. They're afraid of that. And yeah, their ideology, their religious ideology gives them this view of a reward, but not everybody interprets it that way. Just this group. So what is it that's really driving them? It's hatred. It's, it's hatred and it's self-righteousness. It's fear. It's this idea that they're threatened that makes them do that. And I, th I think that's, it, I think it's not fair to then go, oh, well, because it's a religious thing, then all religion is bad. I, I think I've given you this example before that, like, if if you say, well, I got food poisoning. Okay, don't eat food. Time to lay off food. If, if you eat food, you're going to get food poisoned. You know, yeah, there are bad ideas in faith. There are things that happen as a result of people's faith that are criminal, just horrible. I'm just going to leave it at that for now. What, what other base of idea does this come from other than faith? Uh, <laughs> I came back halfway through that, but I feel like I need to add a hallelujah to it. So, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I, I was gonna cut off there. Where did you guys lose me? I don't remember. Well, we 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 lost you, but what you said though, I think we all got it. I mean, I we understood what you said. You were basically making the claim that I'm supporting, which is some of these ideas that people promote out there are are actually pretty dangerous. I mean, they lead to really bad outcomes. Yeah. And, and although yeah. we can give them their space, and although, like Glenn, I agree with you, Glenn, that and, and you, you have such insight and wisdom in that idea that you're right. Everything we know is filtered. Everything we know is filtered through our parents, through our, you know, our upbringing, our friends, our high school we went to, the neighborhood we lived in, the jobs we work at, things like that. But, but you're right. The, the accountability, the accountability comes to the final outcome. And what's that final outcome? Human well-being, human well-being. I don't give a shit what your morality tells you that makes you feel good. If you feel that that, if look, if you tell yourself that you believing this makes you feel good, 
but your belief actually causes harm on another human being, that's what I'm going to tell you to go and, you know, find somewhere to pound sand. Okay. Let, yeah, let, and so you know, me, that kind of is... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Glenn. Well, I, I, I want to restate what you said, Lou, and see if I'm understanding um, what, what you're saying. So you, the, the, the main thing that I heard you say was that as a society, we should be vigilant that if there's an ideology that's promoting harm, you know, harm mm -hmm. to people, yeah. just mm -hmm. like eradicate that, get rid of that, smack that down. And well, I don't know that you can, I don't know that you can eradicate it because our, our world is filled with human beings with different DNA strands and they've had, you know, they've had shit passed down to them that they have no control over. Uh, I, I think we, we know that there, we have, we only have control to some degree. I mean, that's, that's what's crazy about this, this existence that we have right now. We're all claiming to share these ideas that we happen to know and feel strongly about, but you're not the author of those ideas. Give me a break. It, it's exactly what Glenn said. We are, uh, we are literally an embodiment. We're, we're, we're a physical embodiment of the DNA that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And, and that influences what we know about society, it influences the, the lens that we see things through and whatnot. But to, to answer your question, Glenn, I don't think you can eradicate it, but I think it's our responsibility and our obligation to call shit out. Okay. You can't let shit just ride. You got to call it out because it'll hurt other people. Yeah. So, so what, where, where I saw what you were doing is you're focusing on calling the shit out in the minds of other people when their ideology is leading to a place of harm. Yes, sir. And, Absolutely. and I think the only difference that I'm saying in what you're saying is that first start with your own mind. Right. First start with that filter mm -hmm. and, and be really, really clear. Am, am I like these things that I'm thinking about myself, these things that I'm thinking about these other people, is it true? Is, is that true? Because I don't want to go out and start calling out other people on them being wrong if I'm not right about what it is that I'm calling them out on. Right. Like I, I got to get my own house in order. I got to get my own mind in order first before getting on the call out bandwagon. Of, but I of think, going but I there. think it's necessary though, to agree as again, as a society, as a collective group living in a certain area. I mean, just, just call it your area. I do think it's uh, I do think it is important for a group to collectively agree on what is right. And now here's the thing that, but the, I, I, I don't, I don't think I, I don't deny that that's not important, but man, if, if, if I walk down the street in my neighborhood and I just got all of my neighbors that are just on my street and say, how do you feel about this? Let's, let's get an agreement about how we feel on this. Like what the fuck? I mean, yeah. <laughs> how, how is that going to, how is that going to happen? How am I going to be able to go? Oh, well, no, you're wrong here. And they'll go, Oh no, well, you're wrong here. Well, no, this is right. No, this is right. The common denominator, I know where you're going with this. It's like, yeah. how do you really know what objective truth is? Like what, where, well, that's, not where that's, that's what you're saying. What's that no, no, I'm saying, how do you get everybody to agree on that? By, by agreeing that, that human well-being is the common denominator. That's what right. I'm saying. And, and, and that's a very, like, that sounds great. I think, I don't think anybody would de deny that human well-being is a common denominator, but, but where you start getting into the weeds is what does that mean? What is human well-being? When when the because somebody's going to say push back on you a little bit. Push back on me. Go ahead, Mike. 
Yeah, on yeah. what you're saying, Glenn, I, yeah. I, I totally agree that uh, the how is the big question here, right? I mean, that's how, if you can figure that out, then we've got world peace and great and everything's fine, right? But, uh, but I don't think that the answer is by coddling bad ideas. And uh, I think that's part of what I was reacting to there too, is that like you're somehow tacitly endorsing this bad idea by saying, I can't really judge it one way or the other. It's, you know, it'll be okay if I just let it, let it slide. Cause I don't know that I can say anything better. And I disagree with that because there, no, but I'm not, but that, that, isn't ways... what I, that isn't what I'm saying, Mike, I am, I'm, I'm okay. saying no. do not coddle bad ideas. And I'm saying, start by not coddling your own bad ideas. Yeah. I'm going I'm like, to sure. jump in here yeah, and, and defend Glenn here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, def- I, Glenn okay. does not need any defending. Man. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, so, um, I, as soon as I listened to the episode that Glenn released, I reached out because it was exactly what I needed to hear um, because I feel like I'm losing everything. And what Glenn I felt was saying in that episode was don't, don't judge so harshly or just, you know, it was more of a, it's in, it's in your head. You know, it was, it gave me hope. And I feel because I, I think we're all in this boat and Mike touched on this as well. You have friends from high school, you have family members that are Trump supporters and, and you're, and in your brain, you're, you're like, how can they possibly support this guy that was just so narcissistic? I followed him on Twitter for, you know, the entire time. And every day he would say something where I'm like, this is it. This is the end of his, you know, this has to be it. He's, he can't, he just crossed the line that you can't cross, but it happened almost every day. And, but you have these people out there that are just religiously kind of, that almost like they worship the guy. And I've already lost, I feel like I've already lost, I'm, I'm going to lose relationships. I, I still really haven't come out of the closet in a way in terms of where I'm at uh, in my faith, but man, politically, it, it to my parents, for example, I would say it's just as important if they found out that I was I was liberal leaning or you know uh, save the planet type of person, they would just they would just lose it, right? So where I where I'm kind of what, what what Glenn said to me that was comforting was you know you have to allow yourself to look at their perspective. They have a perspective. They have their own viewpoints and um, they're valid from their perspective. And, and that's, I, I'm, I, I guess I feel like I'm just trying to hang on to my relationships in my life that are so important. Um, you know, we're talking, you know, I'm 42 years old and we're like, I don't want to just abandon these relationships that I've had forever through some ideological differences. You know, I want to, you know, these are people just like me with hopes and dreams. And, and, uh, you know, that's what really resonated with me. And that's why I reached out to Glenn immediately. I'm like, I needed this, I needed this episode. I needed to hear because I was so bothered by, by what happened at the Capitol. I was so just, I think everyone was, I, I Reed, hope. Can I, can I say something, Reed? I'm so sorry, mm-hmm. but you're, what you're saying is, is very, it, it's striking a chord with me because um, I've had this conversation with some friends and family too, and you'll have to forgive me with my frankness because I'm not as, I'm not as, uh, as, as, uh, what's, what's the best word? Um, I'm not as polite as Glenn. 
<laughs> but let me just tell you like this. I think a lot of your angst and a lot of the shit that you're experiencing right now, which exists only in your head, by the way, you do realize that. Um, but I think a lot of this anxiety and this stress and the shit that's just bugging you right now is because your focus is on who they voted for. It's not why they voted for them. It's who they voted for. And I'm saying that because I voted for Trump. Does that make me a fucking degenerate? No. Look, listen, Trump is, is, is who I voted for, but I'm not like that guy. I don't like him. I don't like how he talks. I don't like how he delivers shit. I don't like that. Okay. But now again, this is not a political show, but I just need to explain to you because that's what you're that's what you're asking. And since your family won't answer it for you, well, shit, I'll answer it for you. Here's why I voted for Trump. Because two days ago, you just saw immediately what happened when the when the agenda flipped. If you haven't noticed, open your eyes. Our gas is like 14 cents higher now. That was in the first 48 hours of Biden's Trump presidency. Three million jobs got killed with one with one swoop of the pen. When he when he when he completely axed the uh, the Keystone Pipeline, okay. Which, by the way, if you didn't notice, he went to Pennsylvania in a damn rally and promised them in a debate. He actually answered this in a question. He was he was asked that question: Are you going to cut the Keystone Pipeline? He said no, flat out. He said no. Okay. So so again, I I am not I am not. And again, Trump is Trump is one of those guys that you know he holds a Bible up in front of the you know, Capitol building during that raid, that shit bothered me. Of course that bothered me because again, I'm, I, I don't align with a lot of his views. I don't like what he says. I don't like how he is, but for the most part, for the most part, I didn't vote for Trump. I voted for the policies that he implemented that makes a small business owner like me thrive mm -hmm. in a society that should be more, should be less social, you know, like, like socialized is what I mean. I mean, like right now, if, if people aren't realizing this, you're going to realize it real soon. We're going to be living in an oligarchy. And that's not no cons that's not a conspiracy. I mean, that shit's happening right now. If you don't if you don't believe that big tech is in control and Jeff Bezos is in control, you better wake up. That's who's in control. They completely control the narrative. I, I they can't completely argue with that. I, I'm going to argue with that right now. No, no, Lou, Lou. Jeff Be Bezos is not in control of my mind ever. No, but he, no you know one. what he is. You know what he is in control of. You know Tell what me. you know what big you know what big tech is in control of right now. Tell me, information flow. You guys okay. know that. But, information, but, but not how the information flow that goes on in here. But listen, how do you control a people by the control of information? How do you control yourself? How do you know what to know when all the information is being put in front of you is what they want you to hear? That's the how, point. How do you know? That is the point. How do you know? with the information that's being provided how do you how, know, how, that, do you know? how do you know that the information is right or not well because you we've already seen it we've already seen a lot of censorship they just take stuff away that they don't agree with they so, listen we, what's what's our what, one of our founding principles in this country is the right to freedom of speech right yes is freedom of speech just canceling out accounts with and people that and censoring people that don't align with your thought and view that's not freedom of speech you know what, though, Lou, you've got a right to a freedom of speech, but you don't have the right to a freedom of a bullhorn to amplify your speech. And that's what's happening here is these companies that are you have been amplifying speech are saying, we don't want to amplify this anymore. They're not stopping anybody's ability to go out and say what they want to say. 
they're just stopping the amplification of something they see as hate speech. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I mean, we can we can have that conversation for another hour because there's a lot of hate speech that's still being promulgated by social media. I'm sorry. That's coming absolutely. from the left. I agree with that. Yeah, that's absolutely. Been, that's being promulgated I by the left. That's being financed by BLM. I mean, that's that stuff is there and it's real. Okay. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, but I don't think that changes the original fact. What's the original fact? The companies aren't obligated to give people a bullhorn for their free speech. Uh, sorry, hold on. When you're talking about uh, Facebook and Twitter, that's been given political rights and, and, and certain protections against what they say, which I forget the article, what it is, but there's some article, there's some kind of a if you guys know what it is, please chime in. I don't know what it is, but there's a there's a section in the law that gives them freedom to not be held accountable for what's being said on their platforms or else they'd be sued or else they wouldn't be able to hold this certain license that they have. And that license is basically, in, in, in lack of a better term, doesn't give them a right to censor information. Because now when they censor information, you become a journalist. You're now a, a news outlet. You're now a journalist. Um, type of uh, media, which they're not. It's a social media. But now they're, you know, now they're in the, they stepped into this circle of the realm of, of censoring. And, and you touched yeah, on I, exactly. This what, is a really long conversation, I think, but yeah. No, go ahead. I, I, didn't mean to I was going to say, this is what Sam Harris talked about on the podcast. We, we could talk about, this is a whole separate other issue of the censorship of freedom of speech and, and what big tech's role in that is. And, you know, the world's definitely changed since when we, we, we grew up and we had three channels, right? Where you heard the news and it was pretty objective. And now it's just, you know, the power of the, you know, big tech in terms of you just promulgating conspiracies with QAnon, right? Um, is just, what do you do? I, <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I, I have to admit, I, I'm kind of lost at this point on, yeah. on really what it is that we're talking about, Lou. So, so you, your, your concern is with the, the policies in this country that are shutting down uh, freedoms of like free speech and uh, oh, large it, corporations like Jeff Bezos that are controlling information. And th that's, those are your concerns? Yeah, I just, I just feel like the fundamental values that we hold in this country, which is power to the people, the individual, by the way, that's why I, can, that's why I, that's why I align in foundation with conservatism because I believe a freer society means small government, small, fewer regulations, okay? So I, I know that you also don't, you don't like ideology and you don't want to propose ideology, but, right. I, but I'm, I, I'm confused when, about like what ideology is when you're saying we need to get everybody to agree on not harming other people that that sounds to me like you're proposing an ideology that's formed around this idea and then says in this case it's this in this case it's this in this case it's this and it's and it's creating another ideology that everyone adopts and if everybody adopts that ideology then we'll be okay i guess ideology wasn't what i was looking for but if, the, if it's perceived that it's ideology then it's ideology but but it's ideology on an objective plane that's what i'm saying well-being i mean mike's about 
excuse me, sorry. Mike's about objective truth and so am I. It's hard to find what objective truth is. So, so what you need to find is a common denominator. How can, how can a group that has a society that believes in Trump and then believes in Biden and then believes in all kinds of other shit, how do you get a group that's got a smorgasbord of ideas to collectively agree on objective truth that is safe for society? And yeah. I am merely proposing that, that human well-being which you asked me earlier, what does that mean? It means the greatest amount of good possible for the greatest amount of people. That's, I mean, that, I mean it's, it's, and that's not my definition. That's Sam Harris's definition, which is, you know, I got to give him the credit. Too. That's what we're here talking about too. But I promote that idea. But how do we do it? Well, just by, in, you know, accepting it first and then, you know. I mean, so, so as, as a group, how do you get a group to accept what you're saying? I'm not sure. It's it's a tough question. It's an impossible I, question. I think there are some heuristics we could use, though. I don't. I really don't know the mechanism to get people to adopt these heuristics. But like, you're asking, how do we decide what's what's the best? Like, if a if a story that we're we're trying to tell gets people unified, that's a positive. If it's trying to destroy people, it's a negative, right? If it's if it's trying to if a, a story or a fiction, whatever, gets us to a place that uh, we're pitting ourselves against another story or fiction, we need to take a minute to then examine those things in objective reality versus if these things are not necessarily fighting against each other, then we can have difference of opinions and just let everybody have their, their way, right? Do their thing. But, well, and, but, but there's got to be some way for us to stop and say like, okay, here's, oh, good. I'm sorry. Well, I, I'm just in, in this world of objective reality, when we're talking about trying to get all these groups together to stop disagreeing and agree with each other, where, where is the objective reality in that? And, and how is this also not an expression of faith where you've heard these things that Sam Harris has said, you like them. And so we're just going to go, yeah, this is how things should be. Well, where's your evidence that, for wait, how that's on. even how possible that, to get there or do it? How, how is what I'm suggesting how does that align with faith, with faith? At all? Because, because the way that you defined faith earlier was what, trusting, what, what, without, evidence. trusting without evidence. Trust without evidence. So trust without evidence. I mean, t tell what is the evidence that it's possible to get everyone together aligned the way that you're saying on these fact-based moral values? Well, again, you're and, asking and how to get... I'm, I'm saying get, where, where is the evidence that that is the solution to the problem? And where is the evidence that it's even possible to, to do? When someone's human well-being is diminished, when, you're, when your well-being is diminished or compromised by somebody else's moral truth, that is how you measure. That's objective. That's scientific. That is, that's evidence. If someone kills... I don't understand that. Help me understand it. If someone shoots themselves and ends their life at age 25, yes. because in their letter... They wrote that they could not live in a body anymore that, they, that, that just doesn't feel natural to him because people's belief, his family's belief in Mormonism and Christian beliefs and all these moral beliefs that date even further than that, okay, created an environment for him that didn't accept him for who he was. Don't you think that's pretty, that's reliable evidence that someone's life, he killed himself because of somebody else's ideology. How is that not truthful? How is that not measurable? 
How is someone how is someone suffering from depression because someone's religious belief um, disenfranchises them? How is that not measurable? That's affecting human well-being, is it not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is affecting human well-being. I, I don't know what the solution is. Like how how do you how do you get the Mormon Church to change their views on on homosexuality? Oh, I don't think I don't think you get Mormon to change their views. I think what you do is we do things like this, what we're doing right now. And I and I and I and I had said that in, in our podcast in our initial interview that we had a couple months ago. This is what this is what searching for truth and healing looks like. You have conversations like this with everyday people who have real everyday struggles and you share with one another, you share with one another, you continue to be a sounding board for other people. You continue to have, um, you know, let people like, like, like Reed and Mike have them come in in conversations. And guess what? This is the power of doing the right thing, Glenn. You have a good heart. You have a good heart, which is why we're all here. You know, I have a good heart. Mike has a good heart. Reed, we all have good hearts. And so we collectively start with where we, <laughs> to take Uchtdorf's uh, message, lift where you stand, my man. <laughs> no, I thought I was going to say doubt your faith or doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith, but <laughs> no, either one. I actually uh, disagree I, with you a little bit that uh, this is based on objective reality, though. I, first of all, I'm really sorry about your nephew. Um, uh, that's a horrible thing. And I'm you. really sorry that happened. Um, I think though the problem is actually not objective reality here. It's that the, um, the shared world that we live in is based on harmful ideas and the way to fix it is to find a new shared reality. And I don't really give a shit whether it's based on objective truth or not, that unites us all together towards a common cause that gets rid of the damaging stuff that tells somebody that they're broken. I thought and that's so, what I just offered up. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I think that's what lost. I just offered up. Is, I get knocked out of here for a second. So I'm sorry if, that's, if I missed that. No, no, no. What, what I offered up was, and again, I'll repeat it in case it was confusing, the shared reality that the collective community ought to agree on is the common denominator that I've been talking about, human yeah. well-being. If your decisions and your moral truths cause harm on another human being and it brings, and, you know, and it brings their life to an end or to, an, to, to utter... Um, you know, uh, misery, that's, that's not really promoting human well-being. I think it's an easy common denominator. I, I think it's an easy shared reality that we can all agree on. So It's measurable. I, I, I kind of hesitate to keep using, this was your nephew? Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. a, a, as an example. Um, no, it's okay. But do, do you feel like his parents are responsible for his death? Absolutely. I think his parents and myself and his entire um, upbringing, I, I think they have to, I think they do have to step back and they have to take some level of responsibility. And how, how are they responding to it? I don't know. We don't talk. My, his parents, my sister, his mom is my sister. Yeah. You know, and he, she doesn't like the fact that I'm doing this show because it hurts her religious base, her religious ideas. You know, but that, that, that's the reality is, is I feel very connected to my nephew in, a, in, in to some degree because I went on a hike with him just two weeks before he died and he he cried like yeah. he was in tears sharing with me his pain and his misery that he's been living his entire life just to try and pretend that he was he was toting the line just to, to live this pretend life to go and take emblems that are fake 
that doesn't lead to anything, you know, to go to church and, you know, believe these ideas. And it's, it's hard for me to speak this way because honestly, um, my religion and my devotion to it for many years is what I believe made me a good person. It, it helped me be a good person. But the, 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 the issue is, is I got to a point where I saw that my belief was starting to cause harm and misery yeah. to some people. So I, 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 want, I want to go back to his parents for a minute, to your sister. Yeah. How, how can your sister know? Because I, I'm, I'm going to make the assumption that your sister believed that she was raising her son in, in the best way, in the best possible way, right. in the ways of righteousness, in, in everything that you're saying, that, that in her mind, she really truly believed that wow. homosexuality is not in the best interest of her son or society in general. How, how does she change her mind so that she's she's raising the son from this perspective that you think that everyone should from the, what, what is in the best well-being of everyone? Boy, I'm going to go back and sound like a broken record, but it's, it, it's a direct answer to your direct question. How do we know that our beliefs are hurting somebody? Well, shit, you got a dead son that left you a letter. Yeah, but that, that happened, but, 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 but that, but that suicide happened as a result of years and years and years and years of ways that she, taught him and indoctrinated him. And, 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 and in order just... for what you're saying to, to be effective, at some point in that process to prevent him from committing suicide, she's gonna have to recognize, oh, these things that I'm believing aren't true, I need to change. Right. Not How is that them. going to happen? By, by recognizing it first. By Why hasn't it happened with your sister? I don't know, I don't know. I, is I have is no it idea. ever going to happen with your sister? Probably not. Probably Even though not. she has a dead son, she's not going to change her view about probably her not. faith. Probably not. Well, so who is Sam Harris going to change it for her? I don't think anybody can. Donald Trump going to change it for her? Like, who, just, how is it going to happen? Again, I have no idea the answer to that question, but I think it starts with at least the person that we have control over, which is who? Ourselves. <laughs> right. 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 And and if you're holding your sister in this view that she's responsible for the death of her son. Is that true? Yes, it is. And, and so yes. when you, so, so it's true that she's responsible for the death of her son. And, and then she, how does that make you feel about your sister when you she think takes, that she's she responsible takes, for it? She takes some response. She has to take some responsibility for that because she, she promoted these ideas in her household, just like my dad did for me. You and, have to and, take some responsibility. And what are you carrying around in your heart, your feelings towards your sister? The same thing that I had told you um, in our show and you didn't like it, but I still stay behind it. I have, I, have, I have disassociated myself with people who carry these ideas that will cause harm on other people. We can't, we can't sit here and, and try, look, look um, let, me, let, me, let me be straight up. We started this conversation of trying to find out, right? Trying, trying to learn um, some ideas here to, 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 to to help us just be better people, to live in a better society. Yeah. And, and I introduced that idea, and Mike agreed with that idea, that idea that you needed to lay the smack down on these people because their ideas are dangerous. Am I, am I, did I hear that correctly, Mike? Yeah, I, think, I, I don't think that the people need to be smacked down. I think the ideas need to be smacked down. That's what I think. Well, you can't smack down the idea without a person carrying that idea. What, where do you think that I'm disagreeing with you, Lou? 
Well, I don't think you're disagreeing with me. I just don't think I, I, I don't think we're communicating here because it almost feels like we're shying away um, when when uh, the moment we start to feel like we're hurting somebody. Then we then we get a little bitchy about it. Then we get a little scared about it. Oh, it, we can't we can't talk about that because that hurts that person's feelings. I'm and confused. I'm going to tell you right now. Is listen. that not causing harm, though? Like like w- w- if if your moral compass is I don't want to cause harm to other people. Glenn, we're doing that right now. We kill people for killing other people. It's a law. Our country does that. It's called the death penalty. When someone kills somebody, they get killed. Yeah. I mean, why is that? Why, why is that such a hard idea? I mean, just because I'm being very passionate about it doesn't mean it's not correct. It is correct. I'm just if trying. Someone... I'm, tr- I'm trying to understand. I'm like I'm hearing different things, Lou, and and so I'm trying to put them together and, and understand. And here is my second insert to you, Lou. And this time, let me be straight up. I don't think you heard or understood the questions I was asking you. If you believe that it's wrong to cause harm to others, why do you think it's okay to hate your sister? Now, if you think that the word hate is too strong for me to use here, what do you call it when you distance yourself from her instead of putting your arm around her to grieve with her as she grieves the loss of her child? You feel a connection to him because you went on a hike and he shared with you things that he could not share with his parents, and you understood and accepted him in ways that his parents could not understand or accept. But this was your sister's son, who tragically took his own life. Where is your love and compassion towards her? Does she not deserve it because she believes in an ideology that's repulsive to you? You didn't want to be associated with being a depraved person because you voted for Trump. Are you really going to view your sister as a depraved person because she believes in the harmful ideology of the Mormon church? After we recorded this, I was talking with my partner, Cami, who is absolutely amazing, by the way. She told me something that she recently heard, that someone had asked the Dalai Lama, what can I do to alleviate all the division and suffering in the world? The Dalai Lama responded, are you angry at any of your friends or family? Turn that anger into compassion. That's what you can do. Now, I mentioned that to my fellow infant, Tom, and he told me a very cool personal experience between him and his sister that I'm going to play for you here shortly. But first, I'm going to read something to you from the Dalai Lama, because I went in search of this quote after Cami told me, and what I found was amazing. And it's everything that I've been wanting to say in these past few episodes and more. It's called Compassion and the Individual, And I'm going to read it for you now, and then I'll share Tom's story with you, and then we'll get back to this discussion. Compassion and the Individual by Tenzin Gyatso, the 14th Dalai Lama. The Purpose of Life One great question underlies our experience, whether we think about it consciously or not. What is the purpose of life? I have considered this question and would like to share my thoughts in the hope that they may be of direct, practical benefit to those who read them. I believe that the purpose of life is to be happy. From the moment of birth, every human being wants happiness and does not want suffering. Neither social conditioning nor education nor ideology affect this. From the very core of our being, we simply desire contentment. I don't know whether the universe, with its countless galaxies, stars, and planets, has a deeper meaning or not, but at the very least, 
it is clear that we humans who live on this earth face the task of making a happy life for ourselves. Therefore, it is important to discover what will bring about the greatest degree of happiness. How to achieve happiness. For a start, it is possible to divide every kind of happiness and suffering into two main categories, mental and physical. Of the two, it is the mind that exerts the greatest influence on most of us. Unless we are either gravely ill or deprived of basic necessities, our physical condition plays a secondary role in life. If the body is content, we virtually ignore it. The mind, however, registers every event, no matter how small. Hence, we should devote our most serious efforts to bringing about mental peace. From my own limited experience, I have found that the greatest degree of inner tranquility comes from the development of love and compassion. The more we care for the happiness of others, the greater our own sense of well-being becomes. Cultivating a close, warm-hearted feeling for others automatically puts the mind at ease. This helps remove whatever fears or insecurities we may have and gives us the strength to cope with any obstacles we encounter. It is the ultimate source of success in life. As long as we live in this world, we are bound to encounter problems. If, at such times, we lose hope and become discouraged, we diminish our ability to face difficulties. If, on the other hand, we remember that it is not just ourselves, but everyone who has to undergo suffering, this more realistic perspective will increase our determination and capacity to overcome troubles. Indeed, with this attitude, each new obstacle can be seen as yet another valuable opportunity to improve our mind. Thus, we can strive gradually to become more compassionate. That is, we can develop both genuine sympathy for others' suffering and the will to help remove their pain. As a result, our own serenity and inner strength will increase. Our need for love. Ultimately, the reason why love and compassion bring the greatest happiness is simply that our nature cherishes them above all else. The need for love lies at the very foundation of human existence. It results from the profound interdependence we all share with one another. However capable and skillful an individual may be, left alone, he or she will not survive. However vigorous and independent one may feel during the most prosperous periods of life, when one is sick or very young or very old, one must depend on the support of others. Interdependence, of course, is a fundamental law of nature. Not only higher forms of life, but also many of the smallest insects are social beings who, without any religion, law, or education, survive by mutual cooperation based on an innate recognition of their interconnectedness. The most subtle level of material phenomena is also governed by interdependence. All phenomena from the planet we inhabit to the oceans, clouds, forests, flowers that surround us, arise in dependence upon subtle patterns of energy. Without their proper interaction, they dissolve and decay. It is because our own human existence is so dependent on the help of others that our need for love lies at the very foundation of our existence. 
Therefore, we need a genuine sense of responsibility and a sincere concern for the welfare of others. We have to consider what we human beings really are. We are not like machine-made objects. If we are merely mechanical entities, then machines themselves could alleviate all of our suffering and fulfill all our needs. However, since we are not solely material creatures, it is a mistake to place all our hopes for happiness on external development alone. Instead, we should consider our origins and nature to discover what we require. Leaving aside the complex question of the creation and evolution of our universe, we can at least agree that each of us is the product of our own parents. In general, our conception took place not just in the context of sexual desire, but from our parents' decision to have a child. Such decisions are founded on responsibility and altruism. The parents' compassionate commitment to care of their child until it is able to take care of itself. Thus, from the very moment of our conception, our parents' love is directly in our creation. Moreover, we are completely dependent upon our mother's care from the earliest stages of our growth. According to some scientists, a pregnant woman's mental state, be it calm or agitated, has a direct physical effect on her unborn child. The expression of love is also very important at the time of birth. Since the very first thing we do is suck milk from our mother's breast, we naturally feel close to her, and she must feel love for us in order to feed us properly. If she feels anger or resentment, her milk may not flow freely. Then there is the critical period of brain development, from the period of birth up to at least the age of three or four, during which time, Loving physical contact is the single most important factor for the normal growth of the child. If the child is not held, hugged, cuddled, or loved, its development will be impaired and its brain will not mature properly. Since a child cannot survive without the care of others, love is its most important nourishment. The happiness of childhood, the allaying of the child's many fears, and the healthy development of its self-confidence all depend directly upon love. Nowadays, many children grow up in unhappy homes. If they do not receive proper affection, in later life they will rarely love their parents and, not infrequently, will find it hard to love others. This is very sad. As children grow older and enter school, their need for support must be met by their teachers. If a teacher not only imparts academic education, but also assumes responsibility for preparing students for life, his or her pupils will feel trust and respect, and what has been taught will leave an indelible impression on their minds. On the other hand, subjects taught by a teacher who does not show true concern for his or her students' overall well-being will be regarded as temporary and not retained for long. Similarly, if one is sick and being treated in hospital by a doctor who evinces a warm human feeling, one feels at ease and the doctor's desire to give the best possible care is itself curative, irrespective of the degree of his or her technical skill. On the other hand, if one's doctor lacks human feeling and displays an unfriendly expression, impatience, or casual disregard, one will feel anxious. Even if he or she is the most highly qualified doctor and the disease has been correctly diagnosed and the right medication prescribed, inevitably, 
patient's feelings make a difference to the quality and completeness of their recovery. Even when we engage in ordinary conversation in everyday life, if someone speaks with human feeling, we enjoy listening and respond accordingly. The whole conversation becomes interesting, however unimportant the topic may be. On the other hand, if a person speaks coldly or harshly, we feel uneasy and wish for a quick end to the interaction. From the least to the most important event, the affection and respect of others are vital for our happiness. Recently, I met a group of scientists in America who said that the rate of mental illness in their country was quite high, around 12% of the population. It became clear during our discussion that the main cause of depression was not a lack of material necessities, but a deprivation of the affection of others. So, as you can see from everything I have written so far, one thing seems clear to me. Whether or not we are consciously aware of it, from the day we are born, the need for human affection is in our very blood. Even if the affection comes from an animal or someone we would normally consider an enemy, both children and adults will naturally gravitate towards it. I believe that no one is born free from the need for love, and this demonstrates that Although some modern schools of thought seek to do so, human beings cannot be defined as solely physical. No material object, however beautiful or valuable, can make us feel loved because our deeper identity and true character lie in the subjective nature of the mind. Developing Compassion Some of my friends have told me that while love and compassion are marvelous and good, they are not really very relevant. Our world, they say, is not a place where such beliefs have much influence or power. They claim that anger and hatred are so much a part of the human nature that humanity will always be dominated by them. I do not agree. We humans have existed in our present form for about a hundred thousand years. I believe that if during this time the human mind had been primarily controlled by anger and hatred, our overall population would have decreased. But today, Despite all our wars, we find that the human population is greater than ever. This clearly indicates to me that love and compassion predominate the world. And this is why unpleasant events are news. Compassionate activities are so much a part of daily life that they're taken for granted and therefore largely ignored. So far, I have been discussing mainly the mental benefits of compassion, but it contributes to good physical health as well. According to my personal experience, mental stability and physical well-being are directly related. Without question, anger and agitation make us more susceptible to illness. On the other hand, if the mind is tranquil and occupied with positive thoughts, the body will not easily fall prey to disease. But of course it is also true that we all have an innate self-centeredness that inhibits our love for others. So. Since we desire the true happiness that is brought about only by a calm mind, and since such peace of mind is brought about only by a compassionate attitude, how can we develop this? Obviously, it is not enough for us simply to think about how nice compassion is. We need to make a concerted effort to develop it. We must use all the events in our daily life to transform our thoughts and behavior. First of all, we must be clear about what we mean by compassion. Many forms of compassionate feeling are mixed with desire and attachment. For instance, 
The love parents feel of their child is often strongly associated with their own emotional needs, so it is not fully compassionate. Again, in marriage, the love between husband and wife, particularly at the beginning, when each partner still may not know the other's deeper character very well, depends more on attachment than genuine love. Our desire can be so strong that the person to whom we are attached appears to be good when in fact he or she is very negative. In addition, we have a tendency to exaggerate small positive qualities. Thus, when one partner's attitude changes, the other partner is often disappointed and his or her attitude changes too. This is an indication that love has been motivated more by personal need than by genuine care for the other individual. True compassion is not just an emotional response, but a firm commitment founded on reason. Therefore, a truly compassionate attitude towards others does not change even if they behave negatively. Of course, developing this kind of compassion is not at all easy. As a start, let us consider the following facts. Whether people are beautiful and friendly or unattractive and disruptive, ultimately, they are human beings, just like oneself. Like oneself, they want happiness and do not want suffering. Furthermore, their right to overcome suffering and be happy is equal to one's own. Now, when you recognize that all beings are equal in both their desire for happiness and their right to obtain it, you automatically feel empathy and closeness for them. Through accustoming your mind to this sense of universal altruism, you develop a feeling of responsibility for others, the wish to help them actively overcome their problems. Nor is this wish selective. It applies equally to all. As long as they are human beings experiencing pleasure and pain just as you do, there is no logical basis to discriminate between them or to alter your concern for them if they behave negatively. Let me emphasize that it is within your power, given patience and time, to develop this kind of compassion. Of course, our self-centeredness, our distinctive attachment to the feeling of an interdependent, self-existent self works fundamentally to inhibit our compassion. Indeed, true compassion can be experienced only when this type of self-grasping is eliminated. But this does not mean that we cannot start and make progress now. How can we start? We should begin by removing the greatest hindrances to compassion, anger and hatred. As we all know, these are extremely powerful emotions and they can overwhelm our entire mind. Nevertheless, they can be controlled. If, however, they are not, these negative emotions will plague us with no extra effort on their part and impede our quest for the happiness of a loving mind. So as a start, it is useful to investigate whether or not anger is of value. Sometimes, when we are discouraged by a difficult situation, anger does seem helpful, appearing to bring with it more energy, confidence, and determination. Here, though, we must examine our mental state carefully. Whether it is true that anger brings extra energy, if we explore the nature of this energy, we discover that it is blind. We cannot be sure whether its result will be positive or negative. This is because anger eclipses the best part of our brain, its rationality. So the energy of anger is almost always unreliable. It can cause an immense amount of destructive, unfortunate behavior. Moreover, if anger increases to the extreme, 
one becomes like a mad person, acting in ways that are as damaging to oneself as they are to others. It is possible, however, to develop an unequally forceful but far more controlled energy with which to handle difficult situations. This controlled energy comes not only from a compassionate attitude, but also from reason and patience. These are the most powerful antidotes to anger. Unfortunately, many people misjudge these qualities as signs of weakness. I believe the opposite to be true, that they are the true signs of inner strength. Compassion is by nature gentle, peaceful, and soft, but it is very powerful. It is those who easily lose their patience who are insecure and unstable. Thus, to me, the arousal of anger is a direct sign of weakness. So, when a problem first arises, try to remain humble and maintain a sincere attitude and be concerned that the outcome is fair. Of course, others may try to take advantage of you, and if your remaining detached only encourages unjust aggression, adopt a strong stand. This, however, should be done with compassion, and if it is necessary to express your views and take strong countermeasures, do so without anger or ill intent. You should realize that even though your opponents appear to be harming you, in the end, their destructive activity will damage only themselves. In order to check your own selfish impulse to retaliate, you should recall your desire to practice compassion and assume responsibility for helping prevent the other person from suffering the consequences of his or her acts. Thus, because the measures you employ have been calmly chosen, they will be more effective, more accurate, and more forceful. Retaliation based on the blind energy of anger seldom hits the target. Friends and enemies. I must emphasize again that merely thinking that compassion and reason and patience are good will not be enough to develop them. We must wait for difficulties to arise and then attempt to practice them. And who creates such opportunities? Not our friends, of course, but our enemies. They are the ones who give us the most trouble. So if we truly wish to learn, we should consider enemies to be our best teachers. For a person who cherishes compassion and love, the practice of tolerance is essential and for that, an enemy is indispensable. So we should feel grateful to our enemies, for it is they who can best help us develop a tranquil mind. Also, it is often the case in both personal and public life that with a change in circumstances, enemies become friends. So anger and hatred are always harmful, and unless we train our minds and work to reduce their negative force, they will continue to disturb us and disrupt our attempts to develop a calm mind. Anger and hatred are our real enemies. These are the forces we most need to confront and defeat, not the temporary enemies who appear intermittently throughout life. Of course, it is natural and right that we all want friends. I often joke that if you really want to be selfish, you should be very altruistic. You should take good care of others, be concerned for their welfare, help them, serve them, make more friends, make more smiles. The result? When you yourself need help, you find plenty of helpers. If, on the other hand, you neglect the happiness of others, in the long term, you will be the loser. And is friendship produced through quarrels and anger, jealousy and intense competitiveness? I do not think so. Only affection brings us genuine close friends. In today's materialistic society, if you have more money and power, you seem to have many friends, but they are not friends of yours. 
They are the friends of your money and power. When you lose your wealth and influence, you will find it very difficult to track these people down. The trouble is that when things in the world go well for us, we become confident that we can manage by ourselves and feel we do not need others. But as our status and health decline, we quickly realize how wrong we were. That is the moment when we learn who is really helpful and who is completely useless. So, to prepare for that moment, to make genuine friends who will help us when the need arises, we ourselves must cultivate altruism. Though sometimes people laugh when I say it, I myself always want more friends. I love smiles. Because of this, I have the problem of knowing how to make more friends and how to get more smiles, in particular, genuine smiles. For there are many kinds of smiles, such as sarcastic, artificial or diplomatic smiles. Many smiles produce no feeling of satisfaction, and sometimes they can even create suspicion or fear, can't they? But a genuine smile really gives us a feeling of freshness and is, I believe, unique to the human being. If these are the smiles we want, then we ourselves must create the reasons for them to appear. In conclusion, I would like briefly to expand my thoughts beyond the topic of this short piece and make a wider point. Individual happiness can contribute in a profound and effective way to the overall improvement of our entire human community. Because we all share an identical need for love, it is possible to feel that anybody we meet, in whatever circumstances, is a brother or sister. No matter how new the face or how different the dress or behavior, there is no significant division between us and other people. It is foolish to dwell on external differences because our basic natures are the same. Ultimately, humanity is one and this small planet is our only home. If we are to protect this home of ours, each of us needs to experience a vivid sense of universal altruism. It is only this feeling that can remove the self-centered motives that cause people to deceive and misuse one another. If you have a sincere and open heart, you naturally feel self-worth and confidence, and there is no need to be fearful of others. I believe that every level of society, familial, tribal, national, and international, the key to a happier and more successful world is the growth of compassion. We do not need to become religious, nor do we need to believe in an ideology. All that is necessary is for each of us to develop our good human qualities. I try to treat whoever I meet as an old friend. This gives me a genuine feeling of happiness. It is the practice of compassion. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung Nothing you can say but you can learn how to play the game <laughs> that quote from the Dalai Lama that Cammy told you about, you know, someone going, you know, there's so much chaos in the world, what, what do I do? But, you know, are you arguing? Or is there issues with someone close to you? Well, stop. Yeah. You know what's so stupid? <laughs> it's the damnedest thing. Because um, I have another experience right down the same alley. So it was my youngest sister's birthday last week. Yeah, last week. And I, of course, shot her a text and then I called her. And because she's been so freaking busy, like crazy busy. She also works with the National Guard as a medic. 
on the weekends to pay for some of her schooling and whatever. But, uh, so she's gone all the time. And she has these two little kids. <laughs> so yeah, needless to say, she's really busy. So she doesn't answer, left her a voicemail. I don't hear anything from her. No text like, thanks, miss you too, like nothing. And I sent her a gift and it arrived the day after her birthday. Nothing, not a word. So I start thinking she's mad at me. And I start thinking like, what happened? What did, what did I do? And to go along the lines, like my mind started creating this fiction of how somehow, some way I'm pissed her off. And there was like a month or two ago, there was like this uh, email th thread between all of us siblings. And then my sister, my youngest sister, all of a sudden sends this email like, why do you always, ha why do you guys always have to do choose times when I'm, when I'm trying to put my kids down to bed. This isn't right. And she says, please take me off the, off the email list. And I was like, whoa. And it was, I mean, it sounded pretty aggressive, but again, we're talking about text, right? We're talking about emails. What worse way of communicating is there? Like she, she might have been completely innocent or just even tired, not meaning what she's saying or whatever, but she said it anyway. Like there's a hundred different things that could have come from that but I that was the only thing I could pull from that like maybe she's mad at me from that that I that you know I, I included her in this email thread and she definitely sounded pissed so anyway I created this entire fiction in my head thinking that she was mad at me right but going back to this Dalai Lama thing like hey is there tension between you and someone else well stop it end it and and coming off the heels of making things right with my brother where I sent him a text saying, hey man, hope you're doing all right. Like that made such a difference to him. He's like, hey, I really appreciated that, dude. I did. And I was like, cool. And then we started talking and it, and it was so refreshing and it was so nice. So then I was like, fuck, I already know the antidote. So I just sent my sister a text. I said, I haven't heard from you for a while. You don't need to respond. I'm just thinking about you and I love you very much. I hope you're doing okay. And she didn't respond until the next day. And then she sends me this nice long text that says, I got your message for my birthday. Sorry, I've just been burned out, tired, but I've been listening to your message every day and it's been getting me through this crazy work week. And I, I so appreciate the gift and blah, blah, blah. And lots of heart emojis and whatever. And I, and I just sat there and I was like, you see, why the hell did I have to create this stupid-ass fiction in my head? Why did I have to pretend like she was mad at me? When she's just... It, you know, what is it? Uh, Occam's Razor, right? Why did I have to create this complicated narrative that she was mad at me, she was holding resentment and grudges against me, when it, the more obvious answer was that she was probably just really busy and burnt out and burning a candle at both ends and just stressed and everything else that a young mother who's working two jobs is, you know, in the healthcare industry during COVID. Like it makes so much sense. So I was like, oh, the, this most simplest answer is probably the right one, but my mind had to construct this sort of victim narrative, like, oh, she hates me. There's there's 
bad blood between us or whatever. And like I was feeling all those emotions coming up and it was just stupid. I hated it. I hate I hate even thinking about it. And it was and it was such a relief to just send her that text and I knew I was I knew I was putting myself out there, going out on a limb. Because if she was mad at me, she would probably would have ignored that and that could have made things messier. But the fact that she she's like, I love it and, and my message and the things that I did actually were meaningful anyways. Like I kinda thought they would, but my mind just went in such a negative way. I was like, what? Anyway, long story short. No, excuse me. Long story long. Um, yeah, a hundred per, like, I, I can't emphasize the importance of this enough. Of what the Dalai Lama said, like, start with you. You know, Lou, everybody else out there, like, if, if you see injustices and problems and you, and you don't want, and you want to call out people, call yourself out first. And then once you once you feel pretty secured, you know, maybe check again. <laughs> Cause you know, everything in your house is probably not gonna be in order. I know that from my own experience. Like I'm never really done fixing things internally for me. But when you feel pretty confident about that, just just spread love, dude. Just just be cool. Like it's gonna be you're so you're so much you're gonna attract people when you're more positive and you're happier and people get that vibe from you just spread love dude just spread love dude just spread love dude just spread love dude just spread love what where do you think that i'm disagreeing with you Lou? well i don't think you're disagreeing with me i just don't think i i, I don't think we're communicating here because it almost feels like we're shying away um when when uh, the moment we start to feel like we're hurting somebody then we then we get a little bitchy about it. Then we get a little scared about it. oh, we can't we can't talk about that because that hurts that person's feelings. I'm and confused. I'm going to tell you right now, is listen. that not causing harm though? Like, like if if your moral compass is I don't want to cause harm to other people, Glenn, we're doing that right now. We kill people for killing other people. It's a law. <laughs> Our country does that. It's called the death penalty. When someone kills somebody, they get killed. Yeah. I mean. Why is that? Why, why is that such a hard idea? I mean, just because I'm being very passionate about it doesn't mean it's not correct. It is correct. I'm just trying, someone... I'm, tr I'm trying to understand. I'm, like I'm hearing different things, Lou. And, and so I'm trying to put them together and, and understand. Can I, can I just jump in here real quick? I, um, Lou, you said that you, you kind of blame your sister and you blame yourself and um, I, I just really have a hard time with that because you were probably raised in the church, all of you, you know, since you were born. And yeah, I, we were. I have a hard time, you know, to me, and this is going to sound really harsh, but it is a cult. And in my mind, it's brainwashing. And you can't blame her for being, uh, I, I don't know, I'm a real high I feel like this is testimony. I'm starting to get really emotional about this because it's such a real issue yeah. um and i feel so horrible with the way that i've thought about people like that before and the realization when i came out of it it was honestly through listening through stories um mormon stories has kind of you know how many gay or trans people they had on there and I, you listen to their stories and then afterwards your heart just 
melts yeah and it just totally goes after you know towards those people and um i guess i'm i'm feeling emotional because um i just feel guilty for all those years of just and the fact that you're you know i have a, a close from from high school that i grew up with and he he told me just recently how he said he had this plan about how he was going to kill himself. He was gay. We didn't know it in high school. He was going to go kill himself on the, on the steps of the temple um, in the Tri-Cities, Washington area. He had this big plan and he, he said he was literally dying in his basement from depression and anxiety and just fading away. And uh, he decided he followed the, the voice in his heart that said, leave it, you know, and he did. And, and it's just like this complete miracle. Everything is, all this stuff is gone. It's caused, caused all sorts of cognitive dissonance in his parents. He thought that the, you know, wickedness was, was not happiness. And here he's living this, you know, what they would call an immoral life. And he is as happy as he can be. And it's just, it, it's just painful for me um, that, uh, an ideology like the Mormon church has that just completely destroys people. And, and it, it I, I get what you're saying that we got to, it feels like, I feel like you're saying Lou, that we got to destroy this. Am I, am I wrong? Like there's uh, like that thought process is uh, has to be somehow you're demolished. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, sorry. I think, though, that where the miscommunication is happening right now is that Glenn's not disagreeing that the ideas are bad, but he's saying just yelling at somebody about those ideas isn't going to change their mind. Is that, am I characterizing you correctly, Glenn? Yeah, I think so. And, I, don't, I, don't think and, I, was, I don't think I was suggesting that yelling at somebody is, is what's going to get them to agree. I, again, I'm, I'm suggesting that, and first of all, base read, um, what you're feeling right now, good. You should feel that. I felt that. It's a normal human behavior. How do you change if you don't feel shitty about something? Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. You know, so the way the way that I can, again, if I was your pal, if I was your buddy, which, you know, you're probably glad I'm not. But if I was your buddy and, and you needed a shoulder to, you know, lean on, I would look at you in the face and I'll say, good, man, I'm glad you feel that way. I'm glad you feel horrible that your beliefs fucked up. And that it caused harm on other people because that's, what's going to cause change. I mean, that's, that's, that's a human emotional gauge that we have wired into us that, that leads us to introspect that leads us to think a little bit deeper about what we believe and then make change, make change. Yeah. But we can't, I, I think we can't make change unless we, if we're pulling away from people and we are disengaging with, do you want to do you look do you want a room with osama bin laden uh no you wouldn't right yeah i don't yeah i'll say right. no so so <laughs> if i were to say if i were to say read you need to get out of that bedroom today would you sit here and tell me i don't know that i should pull away man i don't want to hurt his feelings i don't want to hurt that guy's feelings because he's got his reality you can't sit here and honestly tell me that you would not leave that room immediately. Would you not want to leave David Koresh's bunk immediately? Or would you still care about David Koresh's feelings? Well, I mean, it depends on how much I know about, you know. No, it doesn't. No, listen, it doesn't depend on. No, guys, listen, I don't know why we're overcomplicating this. 
it doesn't depend on anything other than your well-being yeah. your well-being so 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 lou i i don't i don't know why it comes down to like hurting people's feelings or not hurting people's feelings i think that's a straw man argument and and so i, I kind of reject that right off the bat but I, I like what you said about if you do you want to be in a, in a room with Osama bin Laden? Do you want to be in a room with David Koresh? Do you want to be in a room in a, and let's instead of saying in a room, let's say in a space. Instead of saying in a space, in let's say let's life. say in your mind. Let's say that your mind is the room. Because your mind is expansive and your mind includes everything that you've ever heard, seen, thought, felt. It's all in there. Subconscious part of your mind, conscious part of your mind. Do you want Osama bin Laden? in your head, in your mind? Absolutely not. Do you want David Absolutely Koresh not. in your mind, in your head? So what I'm saying is let's examine that room and let's go what's in that room that I don't want in that room. But it's not even that. It's like accepting why, why is Osama bin Laden in my room? Because if I'm exploring my own mind, these are my thoughts. These are my stories that I'm creating. Why am I telling myself these stories? There are going to be valid reasons because of what I've experienced why I'm thinking and feeling it that way. Now that saying that they're valid reasons doesn't mean that they're right or objectively true. It means there's reasons why I am who I am in this moment, why you are who you are in this moment. I am gonna respect that. That doesn't mean I'm gonna be permissive and allow people to harm other people. I mean, it's a completely different thing. Saying I want to examine my own mind. I want to examine my own room. And, if, and if I'm wrong about things, I wanna know that. I agree. I want to know what I'm wrong about. Absolutely. 100%. And that's what I've done. I've changed my mind about what I believe. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the best way that I can answer that question. Yeah, Cause you're right. It is in your mind. And if, if it isn't, if it is in your mind, then you need to change your mind. That's, that's what yeah, I did. Of I changed my mind about my beliefs. I no longer hold on to those beliefs. But you're not done. You're not done changing your mind, are you? Oh no, I'm. Well, I've changed my mind about that certain ideology that had a that had a grip on my reality. Yeah. And 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 yes. And by the way, Reed. Yes, I, I completely disassociated myself with people that I considered family my entire life. And I can I can look you in the eye and 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 you know what? My family members going to hear this, Reed. Okay. That's okay. I'm okay if they're not my family. I'm, I'm totally fine with that because I cannot associate myself with people that will continue to do things to harm other people or to or continue to believe in things that will harm other people and their loved ones. And if they can't see what I'm seeing, then I just have to, I just have to, again, first change my mind and then associate myself with people with like minds. So, see, and I think that's the kind of tribalism that's making things worse, not better. I was better. just going to say think, that, yeah. I, and, oh, and I also you did you did you say tribalism? So what do you want me to do? Yeah. Live on an island no. by myself? No, <laughs> no. But, but if all, but, if all you're doing I, is associating with people that agree with you already, you're just becoming part of a different kind of tribe, aren't you? Tribe, tribe would would, uh, would insinuate that there's a leader. Not necessarily. I I, oh, tribes don't have leaders. Not I, necessarily. I, 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 I happen to be in one. I'm actually a Samoan who actually was raised in a tribe. I think there are leaders. So, so, so every Samoan is your lock in step, part of a tribe, and you're not going to disassociate yourself from other Samoans. So the word tribe comes from those types of those types of societies that actually have patriarchy. I mean, right. That's, that's but now we're, we're talking about an ecology of ideas. And you're saying that you want to distance yourself from people who have ideas that are that you deem as being harmful. And what Mike's saying is, well, if, if we just separate ourselves from those people that we disagree with, because we see that they're harmful, then we're isolating ourselves. 
Right. And, and that's what he's calling. That's what he's calling tribalism. And you don't have to have any leader that's telling you, I'm going to, I'm going to hang out with these people. I'm going to distance myself from these people. That's you. You're neither, the leader there. Neither is it called tribalism. I mean, that's just drawing some shit from the sky because it sounds good in your brain. Just because you change the people that you're hanging around with doesn't mean you're entering into tribalism. Well, I the mean, question, the on, question guys. that I really want to ask you, Lou, <laughs> because it's, it's very clear to me that doing harm to others is, is that that's your 10 commandments. I mean, if maybe your 10 commandments, is all of them. Do not do harm to others. Do not do harm to others. Do not do harm to others. And uh, with, with what you did in uh, getting rid of the false beliefs, changing your false beliefs about the Mormon church, are you still committed to doing that so that nothing in your mind, nothing in the way that you act, nothing in the way that you show up in the world causes harm to others? I'm trying my best. Absolutely. Okay. I'm trying my best. That's awesome. That, that, uh, me too. You know what? Some of the biggest harm that I've done to people though, I did when I was trying my best. I have to say that. So I, I'm not sure that uh, trying our best is really that much of a defense against accidentally inflicting harm. Touche. Yeah. Well, try, trying your best implies uh, I, there's times where I do and times when I don't. And that's fair. That's honest. I'll just say that what I, what I feel where I am struggling with is I think there's this natural tendency to, you know, reject anyone that doesn't think the same as you do. And we're talking, you know, Mormon church, political, all that stuff. And what I, I, what I feel like I'm trying to do as hard as I can. And that's what Glenn and I thought was touching on that episode was not doing that, not, you know, just outright rejecting uh, someone just for their, their, their ideas, because everyone's in a different place. They're, they all have their own subjective realities that they're, that they're living in. And, you know, who am I to, to judge someone else and, you know, say, you're wrong. I can't, I can't interact with you anymore. I can't, because of what you may believe, even though it might be what I deem harmful or object, objectively is harmful. Um, like I'm, I'm I, Lou, I think it's great that you're able to, you know, be okay with losing family. I guess I, I feel based on where I'm at with my faith crisis journey, whatever you want to call it is I've lost a lot already. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fed up with it. And I don't want to, I don't want to create these boundaries that are in my mind, completely in my mind to reject someone else for, you know, for something that they probably couldn't help in the first place. I don't know if I, yeah. Yeah. And I get that. I agree with that too. I, <clears throat> most of my family still doesn't even know where I'm at religiously because I'm not willing to lose those relationships either. And I'd rather keep it to myself than lose those relationships. I, I completely understand that, that perspective. And, and my whole point has never been that I think that you should uh, tell truth at all costs and like, you know, cut people out at all costs either. I, I don't think that's the way, we solve any of this. I think that's counterproductive, but I do think, and this is, I said something along these lines to you, Glenn, when I, I wrote you that initial response is that we have to be able to find some way to care about people that we disagree with and that we, we, you know, don't have to judge them or be self-righteous about it, but we also have to be able to find a way to say that's not correct. That's not how the world is, you know? So. Yeah. I guess you could always, 
feel like you haven't lost them, but they can have the choice of rejecting you because I, I think that's where it ends up, right? If, I, if my parents found out where I'm at, they would reject me. Yeah. And I need to be in a place where I don't reject them. And that's what I'm really trying hard not to do. And it's incredibly hard. Yeah. And, you know, using, using the, the words like losing everything, losing the relationship. Um, like, I don't know that you, you, you might lose the relationship the way that it was in the past, but it'll, it'll be a different kind of relationship. And yeah. it'll be a new kind of relationship. And, and part of that relationship is the way that they see you. And part of that relationship is the way that you see them. And, and the, the part of the, that that you have control over is how you see them. So you could, you could have a relationship where they really don't understand where you're coming from and they reject you. But you just love the shit out of them. And it doesn't really, like you recognize, okay, they, they just don't have any way of understanding my heart and my mind but I'm not going to let that get in the way of, of me caring about them and loving them, even in areas where I see that they're wrong. It, 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 so you, you still, everything's always in a state of change. Everything's always in a state of flux. And there's certain parts that you can control and certain parts that you don't. And so that, I mean, that, that's what I was trying to call out in those, those episodes. And again, I, I really, it's, it's hard to not be preachy about this and to come across as if like, I've got the answers and I'm right and everybody else is wrong. I, I really don't ever want to be in that place again. And, and so what I've been really wanting to do in expressing this is say, look, this, this is how I'm seeing things. This is the experiment that I'm making with my own mind. And I'm sharing that with you guys to I mean, accept or reject or whatever you want to do with it. I'm not saying what you should do or shouldn't do with your lives, but this is how I respond when I hear these things. These are questions that I have. And I think every single one of us and probably everyone who's listening to this wants to live in a world where we're not doing harm to other people and where other people are not doing harm to other people. I think we all want that. Mm -hmm. yeah. How do we get there? How do we do it? And especially, I, I think, I, I look at myself, I look at my life, I look at the times where I was doing harm to myself because of the false stories I was telling myself about my own superiority compared to other people around me. And that's, that's become kind of a template and a pattern where if I see myself doing that, I got to pull back and go, okay, well, wait a second, what's going on here? And that, again, that doesn't mean being permissive and allowing bad ideas to go unchallenged or unquestioned because I don't want to hurt people's feelings. But, but, you, are being, about. but you are being permissive if you don't call them out on it, honestly. Yeah, and I, I just wondered how that, that fits into your original um, episode, Glenn, with Captain Moroni, because it sh certainly felt like what you were saying was, I can't judge this. So how, how is that not at least somewhat endorsing his ideas? I don't know. I don't know how it endorses his ideas when I'm saying I, I, I'm not, I've got to be really careful about my response to who he is and what this is, because I could be wrong. Cause I, cause I don't, I don't know his heart. I don't know his mind. I don't really know where he's coming from with it. I don't even my, know if the, the my, Captain my, Moroni my guy that's there is bad or not. By your fruits, you shall know them. <laughs> okay. So by, by that Captain Moroni guy's fruits, what do you know? I, 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 and, and, 
It's by my own fruits, by the fruits of my own mind. Do I know myself? Those are the fruits that I'm interested in. And, and do I even know if the fruits of my own thoughts, the, the, the fruits of my own mind are true or not? That's where I feel like if you've got somebody storming the steps of the Capitol, we can, you, his heart and his mind, we can be sympathetic to all those things. And we can even understand that in a different world, that could have been me. Like, I, you, you don't have to think that this person's an awful person and that he's stupid or anything else. But you can also look around and say, there are actual ballots that were cast that you can go count. You can, you can find the reality of the world that says what they're storming the Capitol for is just blatantly false. And, and to take a step back and say, well, I, don't, I just don't know his heart feels to me like saying, since I don't know if he's a good person or not, I'm not going to judge whether or not it's a good idea for him to be storming the Capitol. That's what it feels like to me. Okay. I thought it was great missionary work, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure his mission, ward, ward mission leader, was just as proud as could be. Proud, yeah. right? Yeah. And I, and I wish I had access to that full video because I could tell there were some places that it got edited, like right when he was talking about, and they slayed the king man, and then it was like <laughs> cut off. And I'm like, wait, I wanted to hear more about that. I want to hear what was cut off from there. You could tell he was so excited to share that. Really he was. Thought, this is the this was all of us when we were believing members and yeah. we had a coworker that was mildly interested in what right. we had to say. You could just tell in his voice. Just turn on the fire hose and just like <laughs> yeah. put it right in their mouth. Like, what? Right. Yeah. 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 So we we haven't gotten really to that Tucker Carlson stuff, Lou, that you wanted to talk about. I mean, maybe we've we've skirted around it a little bit. No, it, I think it was it, the it was related. It, everything we talked about is related because it, 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 everything we talked about has to do with ideology. And so to some degree we were touching on it. And mm -hmm. I mean, we, we were actually a, a very nice case study as to how this, how this shit doesn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, as we were sitting here, you know, we're sitting here trying to figure out ideology, but I mean, going back to that, I mean, we're, we are, we're splitting hairs here is what we're doing. We're, we are calling out one ideology, saying that this ideology is better, this certain way is more palatable, or this is more approachable. Um, but I guess the only thing that I wanted to say with regards to Tucker Carlson's uh, interview with this cat was it was just it was just confusing for me because he was talking about the dangers that we're, that we're moving into as a country living in a more secular society. And he was promoting the idea that if we just got back to the Christian values, just got back to that, we would just be so much better. I, I, I was not happy when he was talking about that. I mean, I worked at a multinational, so we went over to Europe a lot. We went, you know, there was, I was over Mexico and, um, so going to France, I don't know if it, any of you have ever been there, but you immediately realize that you were born in the wrong country. Yeah. I, I've never, when, there was an opportunity to, to actually go there and we were, my wife was there with me and it was like, you know, honey, would you, would you move here if they gave me that opportunity? And she, without hesitation said, yes, I will learn a new language. I will live here, right? And, and France is extremely secular. 
um, it, Japan. Like, Looks like we lost Reed now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just me again. So, <laughs> Well, he was starting to say Japan and I've got some experience there. I, I lived in Tokyo from 2007 to 2010 and living in another culture that wasn't a Christian culture, they've got their own ideologies, you know, they've, they've got their own positives and, and negatives of culture. Um, I, I, my experience of listening to that Tucker Carlson interview that you, you shared, Lou, I, I was, I really appreciated it because kind of to your point earlier, Mike, about putting yourself into silos, like ideological silos and, and only listening to people that you agree with, like, I, I don't really even know who Tucker Carlson is. I don't think that I've ever heard him say anything. He's, he's a Fox news anchor. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I never, I never turn on Fox news. I, I don't, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know who the host was. I wasn't really sure what I was getting in for, uh, you know, my, my past experiences with conservative, you know, is the talk radio stuff is the Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity stuff that I mentioned before. So I wasn't sure if it was going to be something like that. I was pleasantly surprised. I, I really liked both of them. I, I had a couple of like cringe moments in some of the things that Tucker Carlson said, like when he talked about liberals or people that don't even make their own bed, you know, yeah. and, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm like, okay. So, so there, because another thing that I'm really sensitive to is the the way that one group will vilify another group vilify as a another. way to try to understand, like we are better than this group because we don't do these bad things that they do. And then right. there's, there's all of these fictions that get created as you're creating this character that you can then burn in effigy and say, we're better than them. And, and so to the extent that I heard that happening as they were talking about, you know, liberals and how bad and horrible they are, I, I, I didn't like that. And, but I, I appreciated that the reason that he, he holds the values that he does comes from his life experience and, you know, like valuing family, valuing community. Yeah. Um, th that, that's really what I think he means when he's talking about Christian values. Like, I don't expect him to know what I know, to have lived in Japan and experienced another culture or to go to France and have the experience that, that Reed had there. Um, I don't know. I, so I've, I've seen that kind of social government in action in Japan, especially on the healthcare side. I worked for a medical device company. And one of the things that we would do is bring in new products to the country and work with the PMDA, which is their version of FDA. And of course, our, our company has always wanted to get the highest price that you could, could possibly get to get the most bang for your buck, of course. But in Japan, they've got this, this, price list that the government sets and they do comparisons anytime somebody brings a new thing you know so it, it's this price the government pays for it everybody's covered with their health care it sure seemed like an awesome system to me when i was when i was there and and made me question the way that we do things in the u.s and then of course i watched the michael moore video sicko and boy then i was all the way down that liberal rabbit hole yeah but um you know, when, when I heard Tucker Carlson talking about the dangers of ideology, and I, I think that's really what you, what, what stuck out to you as well, Lou. Oh, absolutely. That, because that, he, that, he didn't realize the irony in his comment. <laughs> he didn't. Well, and, and we're, we're all there. Like we, 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 we all have some kind of like inner moral framework 
that is our own ideology and whether like how much that conforms to what another group's ideology is or not, you know, it's, it's ours and we're the ones that are responsible for it. Our yeah, own like ideologies. One, one, one ideology that he had made a, a strong comment, comment on and the, the one that struck me the most was the way he termed it. He goes, clearly there's an afterlife. Now he was saying that he was saying that after he was telling his story about his plane crash experience, uh, experience where he everyone in the plane knew that they were going to die. Now obviously they survived the plane crash, but I thought it was an interesting story because he came to a realization that during this plane crash experience, as the plane was plummeting to the earth, um, it, it was at that moment that people realized this is it, and all fears and everything else that they've been doing in their life just came to a complete halt and insignificant and and what he said was interesting he said that's when i realized that what i actually feared most was not the plane crash it was just i'm done this yeah. is it right. existence ends and, and and he said it changed his entire view of life and then he followed that back up by saying i think it was very wise he said the most uh the most certain thing about life is death and i think that's very easy to agree on that's about the most certain thing about life is death we're all gonna die the question is do we know what happens? And then he follows up by saying, clearly there's an afterlife. And that's when I raised my eyebrow. I'm like, how is that clear? How is that clear? I, I don't know how clearly, what do you mean by that? What does it look like? What happens if it's so clear? And, you know, he just made some really obtuse comments like, you know, nature is what's most important. And I agreed with, but then he followed up by, we need to know where that came from. So, <laughs> so I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. So, so let's, let's play, let's play around with this a little bit. So there's this belief that he has that clearly there's an afterlife Yeah. that, that you recognize, okay, wait, no, that's, that's not a fact. That's, that's a faith-based claim. There's no evidence for that. And so that should not be part of any kind of moral framework in mm -hmm. there. And in fact, um, I'm, I'm wondering if, if you Lou see that belief as being something that is a harmful belief that, just people shouldn't have a belief in an afterlife. I think I've had this question before and I've, I've grappled with uh, how to approach this. And let me just tell you that my thoughts, and I don't know whether these thoughts are thoughts that I'm completely clear about, yeah. um, but here's one. I do think it is a dangerous idea to have if it promotes the idea that what you're doing here on earth and the choices you make here on earth is going to gain you an eternal reward in the afterlife. That's where I think it's dangerous because then at that point, the reasoning for your actions is no longer moral. It's you're doing it because you're being monitored by the heavenly supervisor and they're counting score up there. That's not true morality. I mean, true morality is doing something because it makes you feel good. I mean, I'm, I'm claiming a truth there as well. I'm, I'm making a truth claim there. What I don't really know, but morality from what I see is just doing something because you know, it makes you feel good as a person without no kind of compensation or reward. It's because it's the right thing. And that's so to that degree, I don't believe that having this idea in your head that there is an afterlife is a, is a healthy thing to have. If it promotes the idea that your existence in the afterlife is contingent upon your merits here on earth. Okay, could, 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 you, could you give me an example maybe of a time when uh, a belief in the afterlife might be a healthy thing? Because you, you said in, in some conditions it's not healthy and you, you define those conditions. What, what about, what, what, what conditions might it be a healthy belief? In an afterlife? Yeah. Um, 
Probably if um, probably if it's just a continuance. Again, these are things I've just played with in my head. I'm not claiming that these things I'm ready to. Sure. But like if it's just a continuance of, of just life, like if it was, if it just continued, like it, you know, whatever thoughts and whatever things we learned here just continues in some other form, maybe not in a bodily form, but uh, something more along the lines of Hinduism. They believe in, in, in like a start and ending phase that each part of our life, there's a pre-life yeah. and then an afterlife and it get, and it just there's no eternity it just stops and then it starts again it stops and then it starts again you know um i what what if what if your sister in in her belief system she had believed that uh if if she didn't accept her son's homosexuality she would be punished for that in an afterlife and so she sure is better accept her son's uh homosexuality would would that be a, a healthy way of viewing an afterlife in your opinion I don't know, but therein lies a very, very deep contradiction. How do you accept someone's gayness if your religion teaches you that it's an abomination? Right, but we're just playing a thought experiment game, and we're saying that if if the religion did not teach that that was an abomination and instead taught you need to love everybody like the religion also teaches, and we mean it, <laughs> love everybody, and if you don't, then there's going to be punishment for it in the afterlife, would, would that be a a non-dangerous way of holding a belief in the afterlife? I don't know. That's just an honest answer. I, I, I have no idea. Okay. So, so some, sometimes defines- a belief in the afterlife is dangerous. Other times it's not so, but it's really the times when it's dangerous that you're more aware of. You, you've I thought just, about I that more. It, I think it's safer. And this is just my own personal opinion, guys. I just, and this is what I've, I've, and I believe this wholeheartedly and it has changed me. I believe that life is in fact finite. I do. I believe that life is finite because the only thing that, that, that gives me that assurance is that I've only been alive for 43 years out of the 14 billion years this universe has been around. 43 years. I may have another decade or two if I'm lucky, maybe. I have no idea. But out of that, I mean, that's, that, that's like, that, that is so insignificant. I mean, we were dead before we got here you know, and it, and it didn't bother me before I got here. Why should it bother me when we die? You know, the only, the only reason why it bothers us at this point is because we don't want to, we don't want to relinquish our loved ones. We don't want to have that end. We don't want relationships to go away and wither and die. But let me tell you where there's peace in my knowledge that life is finite. Because knowing that, it helps me be a better person now just now live fully as possibly as i can try not to judge people for their you know for their beliefs try not to you know castigate a group of people for their beliefs and whatever but at the same time knowing that because this is our only life there are certain things that we have we have to call people out on if it hurts people's well-being yeah uh, you know if that makes sense i mean that's you know, so, so just live your, your live your best version. Love your wife better. You know, don't uh, love your wife more. Spend more time with your kids. Have children. Um, you know, and if you don't have children, spend life. Spend time with others. And all right, know. Lou, I got I got to ask you this question because you said the word knowing a couple of times <laughs> that you know that there's that there's no afterlife. So I want to yeah. ask you just like give me a percentage from you know zero percent to a hundred percent. How certain are you that there's no afterlife? I'm just going to say 99% because I haven't had anybody come back to tell me what it's like. 
Okay. So, so in, in, in saying, because you haven't, because you haven't had anyone come back to tell you what it's like, nor have I seen any evidence from anybody else that somebody else has provided that there's yeah. an afterlife. So you, you have not seen any evidence to provide, to, to determine that there's, is an afterlife. So then you're a hundred or 99% certain that there's not. Yeah. That 1% but, is left for, but you don't have any, you don't have any evidence that there's not, you just have a lack of evidence that there is. Correct. And, and so you swing to 99% certainty on that. Yeah, I do. Okay. All right. But I, and I'm comfortable in it because it, it allows me to, to shake away any sort of servile prejudices that I might have that would cause harm on other people based on my morals. Yeah. Are, 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 I'm sure there's people who have had that same kind of view that there's no afterlife and kind of use that. Like you, you said that it works in you to help you be a kinder person and live a better life. I'm sure there are people where that kind of ideology makes them think there's no consequence for anything I can do. So I can do all kinds of horrible things to, to people. Oh, sure. Yeah. There's a lot of people. Like, we have a lot of neighbors like that. There's a lot of people that uh, in our workplace, there's a lot of people in our, in our sphere of influence that are like that. However, however, I do align with your belief system, Glenn, that I think the default nature of man is righteousness. I think people are naturally good. And, and I do think that there's, there are a whole ton of people out there who err in their ways along, you know, along this path, and then they hit a realization. And do you want to know how many times? And this is where, this is where what keeps me doing this thing for free. I mean, we're not getting paid to sit here and talk, man. We just spent two hours of our lives here just talking, right? We don't get paid. We, we just invested our time in this. But why am I willing to do it? Because it helps me. Yeah, and you it get, helps others. You you get you get paid in other ways besides money. <laughs> that's right. That's correct. You, you, you get a, you get a wealth of experience and, and understanding and knowledge and thinking yeah. about these things. So yeah. Yeah, but that's what, what I was going to share with the Mike and Reed is when when I air this out and when Glenn airs this out to the followers that follow my podcast, I feel like I have done something to at least raise some sort of consciousness. Right. I know. I know you wondered about that term before, Glenn, but that's what I feel like I'm doing. Every time we have these conversations, I feel like we're raising our consciousness just a little bit, like changing the way we view the world, whether that be good or bad. Even if we don't have all the answers today, like like Reed, I can I can just sense the angst in you, man, and I feel for you. Um, but but like I said, it's OK. Don't worry about it. It's good. The feelings that you're having right now is good. That's fine. It's going to go away. It's going to be replaced with joy. It's going to be replaced with peace. And, and, and by the way, I was going to say this earlier. The reason why you're feeling mostly like that is because where your focus is at. The moment you start to focus on the actual things that you can gain and not lose, because that's what you're focusing on. You're focusing on all the potential losses that you have in life right now and how horrible it's going to be to lose all this. But have you sat down for a second and considered all the tremendous things you could gain? Oh, oh yeah. Right. I, I realize there's a, there's, I've already gained a right. lot. Right. And, and just what you shared Lou about, you know, if I, I live on, on, based on your perspective of there's no life after death. Right. Now, now I, man, do I treasure the time with my wife and my kids and you know, that completely changed. And you, we, I think religion has this way of, of, 
of making you kind of kick things into the afterlife, right? Like all your rewards, all your, you know, and I feel so guilty because it was like, when my, when my grandmother was dying, I remember it was just like, well, I'll see her in the afterlife. I'm not going to give her a call. I mean, literally that's what, you know, it was, it was the, the, the surety of what was going to happen was just like, well, oh, you know, it's, it's fine. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll, I'll see her in the afterlife. All will be well. And, and instead what I should have been doing was like, this is the time. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, so there's some, there's some guilt and some regret there, obviously, but that's, that's changing. Right. That's, that's changed now in me. And so I, I do feel kind of like I've already gained a lot. And I've shared that on the last podcast with Glenn in terms of once there was a, the, the death of faith became this amazing vista of, of amazing possibilities and just all this amazing truth and knowledge out there that I just was never going to go after because of the cognitive dissonance that, that, that my faith caused. So. Love it. All right. Have we, have we reached a wrap up point? <laughs> it is this getting is fun. Lunch. <laughs> You're just going to leave me with a new thing to ponder here, Glenn, though. I, I haven't uh, ever really stopped to think about maybe somebody is worse, worse off for not having what I'd call a fiction, right. Of, of, uh, believing in that afterlife. If, if somebody's life is then turned into just, uh, live in debauchery and whatever I feel like now, because I feel like there's no responsibility, maybe maybe they're worse off that's i hadn't uh that's i mean i'm sure that's not a novel idea i'm sure most of you have had that i just i haven't stopped to really give that the, the consideration it deserves you know so it'll be something new for me tonight that i'll you know go ponder about all right <laughs> yeah so great any any final words lou reed lou reed i no. this is this was a great conversation i'm 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 humble and grateful that you invited me to to participate and I, you know, even though Lou v- voted for Trump, I still, I still, you know, <laughs> love you, Lou. I don't know you, but I, I feel you. Like your, your passions and your, your, uh, you know, everything that you are talking about. Like, I get it. I get it. You know, and um, I, I think honestly, listening to Tucker Carlson was good for me. I don't, I don't want to close myself out to anybody or anyone's because if Tucker says something that's five percent truth. I need to listen to the 95% of the stuff that I disagree with to get to that 5%. Yeah. And I, and, and that's what I'm trying to do is just not shut out anything. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I, I'm with you, man. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Glenn. Thank you so much for having me be a part of the panel. Right. I hope, uh, I hope both Mike and Reed, I hope this is not the end of this. I hope we have some other conversations and you're welcome to be on my show too, by the way, and just, and just continue a different conversation and just continue to share some things. Um, I, I, I will just end with this and just say that we obviously guys, I mean, I make some pretty bold, hard lined statements. I know I do. Um, but I, I only do that because I only do that because I, I, I do feel strongly about the things that I, I, I believe. And there's that word believe, because I could start a whole nother yeah. hour right there. Yeah. Or, or, the, or those things that you have faith in that you yes, do have faith. Like, what, what is belief? Like, what do you believe really? I mean, um, but anyway, I'm not going to get into that, but uh, I believe strongly about it. And I do believe that I, I do feel strongly that the things that we are convicted about in life that we should share. We, I, I don't think we should hide them. I don't think we should um, keep them within ourselves. 
I love what Jordan Peterson said about uh, about sharing. And I shared this with you in our last podcast, Glenn. And what Jordan Peterson said about uh, the things that we believe or the things that we have to say, he said, if you have something to say, silence is a lie. And I, I love it. I've, I've referenced that several times. And so I think on, on our, my final note, I would just encourage all of us here and all of our listeners, don't be silent. Just talk. Just say it. Say what you got to say. You get this one chance, damn it. This is it. Like, like you just don't know. I mean, this is what I mean. We ha we're having this conversation. And guess what? If this is the last thing I'll ever do, what a life worth living. What a life worth living. I mean, I didn't hide. I didn't apologize for what I had to say. Because what I'm having to say has to do with my journey. I'm trying to share it. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to garner help. I'm trying to, you know, glean some uh, information from all of you guys here. And what, what other way to live a life? I mean, what other way to invest your life other than just constantly sharing, sharing and listening and talking and, 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 and making yourself better. And I think that's the, it's the only thing I wish to impart upon us today, I guess. <laughs> I feel a, in the name of something, something, amen coming on here. <laughs> it almost felt like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mike, you started this. Yeah, Mike, yeah. you started all this. What about you, man? Leave us. What's what's going on? <laughs> I really just enjoy the back and forth because I honestly, I feel like even though I don't, I don't think I've expressed myself super clearly in our conversation today. I feel like I have personal clarity that I've gotten out of just having these conversations back and forth that I'm in a better place today than I was a couple of days ago. Oh, and yeah. so I appreciate just, just having the back and forth, you know what I mean? And I, I appreciate people pushing back on things that I care about and that I, I, uh, you know, I think are important and I, I appreciate when, you know, people hear me out and just let me speak too. you know, the idea that if, if you have something to say, silence is uh, a lie. I hadn't heard that, but I like that one. That's, that's, yeah. I'll, I'll give an amen to that too. So yeah. Thanks guys for having the conversation because that's the conversation is the thing that I find super valuable. So. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks guys. Yeah. We can talk again another time. That'd be fun. Thank you again to think on your face. <laughs> Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Hey there, thanks for listening all the way to the end. Now, I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I have more to say about this topic, and I'm going to do that with a follow-up behind-the-scenes sharing time episode on Patreon. So, if you're in a position where you can throw me a few dollars each month to support the work that I put into creating this podcast, please come and support me on Patreon, where you'll also get access to additional content. Did you know that I also create sharing time episodes that are available only to Patreon subscribers? I've been doing that for a few years, so there's a lot of content there that you can have access to. So please come and support this podcast if you can. I greatly appreciate it. Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes. And take a breath. Thank you.
you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic. So